Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes Hello, everyone out there, Geek Vibes Nation. This is your friend, Dane Alves, with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, the weekly show in which me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, break down the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and go over the shows and give you some of our reviews. So uh, we got another packed episode today, and uh, I, I want to go over some changes that we're going to be doing to the show, but before I do that, I want to introduce... Someone I already talked about. You know him. I know him. We all love him. Christopher Brother Ray Patton. I guess technically new listeners don't love you yet, but, you know, it's going to change soon. (laughs) Maybe. Or they may be like, this guy is the biggest heel in the business. What is this guy's problem? (laughs) Jim Cornette looks like a bunny rabbit. (laughs) Hopefully that's not the vibe I give off. Uh... Man, it's been a crazy week. I I officiated a wedding. I am I am a man of the cloth, Dane. How was your week? I I I didn't do anything that cool at all. Um, I just went to work and shit. But uh, congratulations to you. You know, we I, I tried to give you somewhat of a pep talk when you know last uh, weekend when you're a little bit nervous, and I know that you did a great job. What was it like marrying two of your best friends? Uh, it actually was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Once I got over the initial nerves and just talked about the fact that I love both of them and they both love each other, it was uh, a lot easier. A I'm lot assuming easier it's than a similar I feeling. It. I'm assuming it's a similar feeling, and you know what would know about this, when you're about to go on stage to play like a show or a concert and you have like a bunch of your friends and family there. Obviously it'd be bigger, but same type of uh, nervousness until you're fucking rolling, basically. <laughs> yeah uh it's like that but with a some bunch of people you don't necessarily know and older people so you don't know how your jokes are going to come across and you don't want to make it too jokey because it is a serious ceremony but you also want to play into where why their relationship is great so it was a it was a learning experience and very fun and i guess everyone thought i did a good job i didn't have anything thrown at me no hot garbage thrown at me so uh you know, I, I thought in the back of my head right before I went on, it it can't be worse than some of the promos that are on WWE that are written by creative. So I just rolled with that. So basically, no 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 doo doo jokes that uh you know because grandma might not like them you know, but Vince would have. So <laughs> that's good shit. <laughs> Yeah, in retrospect, I should have made doo-doo jokes. Maybe WWE would hire me in to create it. All right, well, um, I'm happy for you, man. That's awesome. So to let uh, our fans know, uh, new listeners, keep on listening. We do the show, well, we're going to be doing it once a week. And uh, old listeners, is kind of just to give you guys some info. We might do it two times a week, depending on the amount of information that we have. Um, You know, and that would be our Thursday show that we put out on Friday. And our Saturday show that we put on out on Sunday. But for the majority of the time going forward, it will probably just be a Saturday show we'll put out on Sunday. The main thing, 
I apologize if you're a big fan of WWE. I am not going to make me and Chris sit through three hours of fucking Raw that we're mostly forced to to kind of go over it with you guys a week later when it's completely more so out of our minds. I just don't think it's really worth it. I love a lot of the superstars on there, including AJ Styles, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton. Um, I'm a fan of The Fiend. I'm a lot. I'm a fan of some of the stuff. So in that type of situation, if there's big stuff that happens on the show, we will have those within the news of like a little bit of a raw breakdown or if something completely egregious happens, which fucking happens all the goddamn time. But to save me and Chris's sanity, basically, we're not going to cover it every single time. We're going to continue to cover SmackDown. The show's on Wednesday. And we'll pretty much cater to Raw, I would say, as much as we cater towards Impact, which I actually enjoy watching more most of the time. But Impact and and New Japan, where we give you guys the highlights. And we still will be going over the pay-per-views. We're not going to ignore the Raw storylines. We're still going to keep up with it, but it'll be at our leisure and you'll find out our information either through Raw being a news chunk uh, or any of the big storylines happening on it or for the pay-per-view with the results of the matches. I just, I can't fucking commit. I'm, I always fall asleep. I know that there's people that review it for a living that do. Like, like Dave LaGreca and Bully Ray complain about on Busted Open every Tuesday. Um, but it's just gotten abysmal. I just, I, I really just could care less. I feel bad because it has some of my favorite wrestlers on the planet, but that's just how it's going to have to be. But I promise we'll cover some of the big stuff and some of the shit parts as well, uh, deemed by the news, and we will still cover all the storylines that, you know, when it plays out in the pay-per-views. But uh, Chris, uh, did you think this was a good decision? Because I'll admit, I kind of suggested it to you. I just don't want to waste too much time on reviewing stuff that we want to pull our hair out most of the time and try to recall that we probably try to get out of our head for a good reason. I I do think it's a good idea for the simple fact that we run into the same problem as a lot of podcasts where it's way easier to talk longer about the shit that sucked and a lot of raw sucks. So what happens is instead of us talking about things that are actually good, we end up on a 30 minute spiel about how dumb retribution is. So maybe once they get Retribution <laughs> completely done and over with, we can revisit this idea. But, uh, I mean, for instance, we we would talk, you know, 10 minutes about whatever was going on with Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre and the promos and what they were doing. And then we'd have to spend like 25 minutes on the crazy dumb shit like the Raw Underground or Retribution, which everyone hates anyways. I know that's part of the funny part, but it's it's actually depressing to watch and or write or talk about. Yeah, I, I agree, and I just don't think it's really worth it. I'd rather have fun. I'm really enjoying SmackDown, you know, and I have been uh, for the most part. So we'll just continue to do that, and like I said... If something big happens on it, because I'm sure that me and Chris are going to end up watching Raw or start to watch it, or we'll, we'll be keeping up with the news, we'll still cover it. It'll just be a little bit separate, like we're about to do within our news, uh, you know, brief. So, uh, speaking of which, let's talk about some new stuff, Chris. So I'm going to throw out, uh, well, I'll throw out all the the stuff, but we'll break down two of them a little more individual. Uh, but the f- main stuff for the news is. Uh, AEW 
had a press conference. I don't think some people got that they were doing a Steve Jobs impersonation. There was some people that were like, why are they dressed like that that I saw? Then I'm, all right. But Kenny Omega, Cody, um, Aubrey Edwards, and uh, for some reason, Britt Baker for a t-shirt, introduced some new stuff that they're working on at their AEW games. Most notably, the biggest thing, Kenny and Veal are unveiled that they're working with Ukes, who left, if you can remember, 2K, that same group that worked on all the 2Ks up until 19, which is probably my favorite. Also, 2K14 was also a great one for the uh, last system, just because it had Yokozuna and Hulk Hogan and everyone was in it. But anyways, um, they're out of there. And now they're working, and I forgot the gentleman's name. I'll try to look him up. But the main developer that created the engine and gave it to Ukes, basically, to kind of expand upon it with their SmackDown series that would turn into the 2K series. But he's the one who was head of Aki and and I believe THQ. I think he was like the head developer for that. And they made Virtual Fighter. They made WCW versus NWO Revenge. They made WWE or WWF, I should say at the time, uh, WrestleMania. And also No Mercy, which is like the big one to a lot of people. So they want to make a game, and they show graphics. They're trying to go for that type of look, but they definitely said the graphics are not finalized. This is early development. And they want to have a No Mercy-style game. And what they said is unlike the 2K model that Ukes did, where they 2K really wants you to expand upon it, make it much more realistic, uh, very similar to the UFC games from EA, um, they want anyone to be able to pick it up and play it, but it's hard to master it. So I don't know if there's going to be a bunch of reversals, which to me was actually kind of fun because it kind of made it flow like, you know, an actual wrestling match. But I think what they're doing is going to be very interesting. I'm very excited about it. Uh, We had Aubrey Edwards, who her and Tony, she used to be a game developer before she was a referee and while she was a referee. So they're doing a new mobile game um, where you can be a commissioner and basically make the matches, book stuff. And I've seen other general manager app games you know, this one specifically will be with AEW. Tony Khan and her and other people are working on it. So that's cool. They're making a casino game based off of their uh, Double or Nothing pay-per-view, which should be out soon. So that's a, another one Cody unveiled. And a t-shirt! Also, Tony Khan made a comment, and I, I'm starting to think he was talking about the wrestling game, about uh, some type of fighting game in the works. I don't know if they're planning on doing that sometime in the future. kind of would make sense, though, with Kenny maybe working with Capcom on that because he's, you know, been a, um, a spot. He's been sponsored by that in his competitions and whatnot. And he's obviously big into that, but that's now just kind of a rumor. Um, I don't have the words exactly what Tony Khan said, but I thought he was kind of hinting at that. I could be wrong, but they definitely have a new no mercy game head developer of those past games, the 64 that are so harpened upon and also Ukes working with him to make this new game, a mobile GM, game and a casino game so that should be pretty cool i'll just you know i'm gonna actually just what's your opinion on this i think obviously we're all looking forward to the actual wrestling video game but the fact that they're making a games division pretty awesome i would say i i think it's a it's very cool that they're working specifically with the old developers of the wcw versus nwo wcw versus nwo revenge 
or no, it was a uh, world tour was the first one. And, and obviously that WrestleMania 2000 game, those are the classics that people tend to go back to some of the best of all time. And it seems like when they floated the idea of a wrestling video game, which I knew Kenny was going to feel this way just because of uh, stuff he's done with giant bomb and talking about those games in the past, there's an affinity, there's a love there. Uh, from a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys are gamers, and it seems, you know, having them be a part of the top tier of the company, they want to make sure that the game is fun, first and foremost. Whereas with WWE, a lot of times it seems like they just hand it off and they say, okay, 2K, go do your thing, because you make good games, right? So this seems more like it's like, no, we want to make a game that people will enjoy playing and can be crazy. I like the idea that there may be some challenge to it. I don't know how hard they want to make that. If it was up to Kenny Omega, it would have Street Fighter combos in it, which that makes me nervous if you ever played any of the early WWF, like Attitude Games for N64, <laughs> where every move was a button combination. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I like the idea of specifically the idea of that wrestling simulator game because on uh, the major wrestling figures podcast interviews he did he talked about part of the reason he wanted to get into wrestling and start his own wrestling company was him fantasy booking through games like ewr and tew which are both great wrestling simulator games very in-depth to the point where you're hiring staff and uh, pitching your company to different television networks which they would have stuff like fox disney tnn USA, like all of the major networks, um, entire giant rosters. And what would happen is you would, it, it gave you a bunch of fake names, but then people would update it. You would have like every wrestler in the world. Uh, and the match to match breakdown was like super crazy also. Like to the point where when you would book a match, it would spit it out like a Dave Meltzer type wrestling review with a star rating. So, I hope they go to that level of detail because there's already a lot of good wrestling booking games out there in a similar vein, like uh, Retro Super Brawl is one of them that comes to mind that I've played quite a bit. The casino game I have no interest in just because casino games on mobile scare me. It seems like a cash grab a lot of times where you we're going to give you this many tokens a day. But if you lose them, you can pay $5.99 for more tokens. It's that free-to-play mobile stuff that kind of disgusts me a little bit. And the fighting game, I'm assuming he's talking about doing something like WWE Super Brawl, which I thought was an amazing game. It didn't get as much love as it deserves as a fighting game. But if they're planning on doing something like that in the future, or if they're just planning on saying, hey, we're not doing a full-on um a full-on fighting game but you're gonna have all like these AEW characters in the next street fighter so when street fighter 6 comes out i mean that could be really really cool especially because they've already been working with capcom like you said yeah i'm even wondering if maybe capcom since they do have a good relationship with kenny if they wanted to put like an old school tribute to the like street fighter 2 the original one for place or not playstation before that Super NES and Sega Genesis take that more older, you know, it's pretty much the same, obviously it's been updated, but take that engine, same graphics, and put just, you know, all the fighters, and even do the same thing where you have fighters 
throughout the world and you can kind of like make a mock-up version of that because i think that capcom would sign off or something like that or like you suggested have a bunch of them downloaded on like the next street fighter that would be also cool yeah, and I, I think they might go that route, seeing how well that's worked with Mortal Kombat, with Mortal Kombat adding in characters like, you know, Freddy yeah. and, uh, um, not Freddy, but Jason and Michael Myers and uh, Leatherface and, Joker. Uh, Ro- yeah, RoboCop. <laughs> so, it, I mean, to, to me, it would make a lot of sense for Street Fighter because they... In a lot, in a lot of cases, they're kind of a cash grab in general. If you, if for those out there that's played Street Fighter Five, you'll know what I mean with these alternate out, uh, outfits and downloadable characters. Um, it would make sense for Capcom to do something like that, and maybe even in exchange, produce a game in the future for AW. Now, all of this is just going off what Tony Khan said. I thought the presentation was hilarious, but I'm also old enough to remember what Steve Jobs looked like when he announced the iPhone. You're right. So old. <laughs> <laughs> I could see younger fans looking at that and being like, what the hell are they wearing and why are they wearing it? Um, <laughs> Let me ask you one last thing about the uh, the wrestling game by itself. I think that AEW has a really solid chance of not just displaying all the wrestlers they have in the company. I uh, would do a creator wrestler like they do on uh, 2K, um, you know, where you can download them online, obviously, or something like that. But they have legends. You know, I would I would put a younger Dean Malenko. I'd put a younger Jerry Lynn. I'd put a younger Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard. Then you have them as a tag team to play as. Actually have them. You know, you can even publicize it. Have, can't call them the Brain Busters, but have Anderson and Tully versus Dawson and Wheeler. You know, kind of do that. Maybe even get Sting. Sting, Bret Hart, the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, WWE hasn't been happy with them. None of them are under Legends contract. They're probably not going to be on the next expansion of video games for their 2K games on the next console. Fucking get all of them, since they've all made appearances. Put the, They actually have Legends uh, that they can add into this game. Dean Malenko was never asked to be a part of any of the 2K video games as a Legend character. You know, you have all those people accessible Put them in there to show some old stuff and kind of do a Jerry Lynn versus Kenny Omega style thing. Have Chris Jericho, but younger, you know, just don't have him so on the nose. Obviously, you couldn't do like a WWE look, but I'm just saying they have they have a good way to be able to have a pretty big roster and also legends, which is sometimes one of the main things that people buy the 2K WWE games for. Yeah, I. I one of the great things about those WCW or the WCW versus NWA revenge is it was pretty much the entire WCW roster right off the bat. And I think a lot of fans, at least a lot of video game fans, when you get into that downloadable content, like that's great and all I just, the, the paid, the paid content or the character packs, uh, I've never been that huge of a fan of, but I love the community creation. Make them unlockable. Don't charge them. Make them unlockable if you're going to do it. Like, honestly, I would rather you just give me all all of it up front and then have, I don't know, have just make a really good game. More people will buy it if it's a really good game, and then you won't have to cash grab the small amount of fans that do buy your game. You know what I mean? If that makes sense, like if you yeah. make a really good video game, people are gonna fucking buy it. 
you don't have to try to nickel and dime the ones that are buying it because they're wrestling fans. Yeah. I wasn't implying that they should charge extra for it like 2K does. I'm just saying have the legends part of it, maybe make them unlockable with whatever modes that you have within the game, uh, like they've done for those past you know, Mercy games and uh, stuff like that. To be able to un- unlock some of the legends, you had to be able to beat whatever or, or do something like that. But I'm just saying they have access to people that are on their roster that are not wrestlers, that used to be wrestlers. You might as well put them all in the game to give people more reasons to buy it basically. Yeah, okay. I'm so yeah, we're on the same page then. I just don't want them like you know, you can't use these pants unless you've bought this character pack or you can't download this unless you have this like that stuff gets so annoying and, and it it gets very expensive very quickly. Um, but yeah, like as far as them having unlockable characters and stuff, I think that's awesome. I also hope that they do random characters like they did in WCW versus NWO Revenge. Like they had like uh, AKI man, yeah. yeah, and stuff like that. Like that'll be really fun. And the biggest thing I would want out of this game, a single player story mode that's yep. decent. That doesn't. I mean, I've stopped. <laughs> like I don't need it to be mind blowing, but either give us like moments from the past year or something like give us the Adam page storyline with Kenny Omega or give us, you know, like the, the, the WWE moments, but not as done as hard where you have to hit a specific move at a very specific time in the match. Like you could do that, or you can just give us a full on, Hey, create your player. Um, you're going to start on AW dark and then work your way up. And here's your interactions with all of these different, they're not CEOs. What do they call themselves? EVPs, I think. EVPs. Yeah. So, I think I think that could be really cool. Uh, there's a lot of promise in that game, just because I don't think Kenny Omega is going to sign off of, on a video game that sucks. And the same thing yeah. with Tony Khan, which makes me happy. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited about it. You're excited about it. But let's move on. Uh, we got some stuff going on in New Japan. So I believe it was that Power Struggle was the name of the last pay-per-view. They put the – they kind of used the G1 tournament uh, contract briefcase, if you will, uh, similar to how WWE has used the uh, Money in the Bank contract briefcase. Uh, the the contract was put on the line. Jay White with some tomfoolery and, and whatnot beat Kota Bushi to obtain that. He's now going against Tetsuya Naito on night two – of the next Wrestle Kingdom, and Naito, Kota Bushi basically was, you know, given the option with Tetsuya Naito to face him on the first night. So for Naito to retain the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and I believe the Intercontinental Championship at Wrestle Kingdom, he's got to beat Kota Bushi the first night and beat uh, Jay White the second night. Now, to me, this is a way to put Kota over. Kota beats Naito and then gains his win against Jay White. I think that if any situation where Jay White wins, the fans are going to be pretty pissed off as he's been very much compared to a year 2000 Triple H uh, in that regard. But heelish tactics, he's one of the biggest pricks in the industry, and I think he does a good job of that. And they definitely still have faith in him. But I think all of this, it's kind of sad that Naito... The experiment, at least for now, might be over unless he overcomes both opponents, and that puts him on another pedestal. But I feel like with Kota Bushi, it would make sense for him to get both wins, win both titles, to put him to the top of the map 
you know, on that level of a Naito or an Okada as far as one of the top baby faces of his generation within the company. So how do you feel about this, Chris? And how do you see it playing out at Wrestle Kingdom come January? I, I think the scenario you laid out probably makes the most sense. In to some extent, it seems like Naito's hit a ceiling. And this has happened to him multiple times. Whereas Kota Ibushi, the reason they signed this guy is they want him to be the next ace. So, you know, you can have this this loss like you're talking about like he loses he he you know he lost the briefcase right but he can come back and win both nights and that puts him over as the biggest baby face in the company currently maybe outside of tanahashi it, it just makes a lot of sense um do i know do would i put jay white there for that spot i that part i'm a little unsure of but I, I don't. I mean, he's the biggest heel there, right? Yeah, I would say so. Um, who's the guy from the Bullet Club that used to be in NXT? I, I can't believe I'm sleeping on his name. Kenta. Kenta oh, that was. We'll come back to that. I forgot Kenta just won something, but sorry. Keep going. Yeah, I was going to say Kenta is probably the second biggest heel they have there. Um, I mean, unless you're going to consider Evil a heel, to me, he's more of a, a tweener. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they get around that. I think maybe them signing some people that have recently been released or are soon to be released and bringing in some new guising talent to be shitbag heels wouldn't be the worst idea in the entire world. I do think there is some fatigue on Jay White, and that's nothing against the guy. He's he's grown on me as a performer. Um, but I... If the end of the day is that you're just going to have Coda end up winning this this belt, I don't think it hurts Naito that bad. I mean, he's a three-time champion, right? So, I, I, not the main event I would want, but it's not a bad main event. I just hope that Naito and uh, Kota Ibushi don't kill each other. Uh, um, and I like the promo that Naito cut uh, about Kota Ibushi and wanted to give him a shot. Putting a lot of praise on him. I'm looking forward to that match if that happens that way. Things could change from here now. And <sighs> New Japan's been a little bit more sporadic lately. I know they've dealt with obviously the coronavirus, but taking the belt off of Naito to put on Evil to lose to Naito was a very interesting dynamic. It seems like Will Ospreay is going to be going against Kazuchika Okada, a student versus teacher match at Wrestle Kingdom. And it also, uh, I don't know if it was at Power Struggle or if it was at something else. Uh, but Kenta won either a tournament or a match, apologize for not having all the info in front of me, where he is the number one contender at Wrestle Kingdom for the New Japan U.S. title. So that means Mr. John Moxley is going to have to defend that at Wrestle Kingdom. Which I'm assuming he drops, which in turn would mean maybe that heavyweight title was coming off of him in AEW. He goes against Kenny in, what, a couple weeks for the title? I could see yeah. that happening. Yeah, because I don't think you want your champion losing, at it, it, even if it's in a different country. So if, if I'm AEW, I'd probably take the belt. I know that's kind of a nitpicky thing, but it it would no, make it makes sense. sense. Um, and also putting the belt on Kenny is not the worst idea in the world. I, I Not that Moxley has had a bad run or that Kenny will have a better run. Um, 
but it's been what we've had Moxley for a year now, almost yeah. a year. So I, I interesting stuff. I'm surprised they didn't do a lot of people were talking about the briefcase last year and how they should have utilized it headed into that Wrestle Kingdom. And then this year where they obviously did the champions challenge, uh, uh, that part was a little weird to me in general because they were talking that up even before this briefcase stuff happened. And that made me think that Naito was going to win the G1 and challenge people both nights, which would have been interesting because uh, that would have been a good way to protect him even if he lost the title. But that would have been a very Okada thing to do, which that's not Naito's character either. So the feud between Naito and Kota Ibushi continues. It'll never end. Oh, God. Terribly terrifying <laughs> feud sometimes. But, hey, we'll get a great match out of it. But, you know, this is like Misawa and Kawada basically back in the day. Hopefully they don't fucking destroy each other. Um, but, yeah. Very excited. I'm I'm curious about a lot of stuff. You know, I know that his next opponent is apparently Shaquille O'Neal, and we'll get to that once we go over uh, the Wednesday Night Wars with Cody. But he's been saying the word ace a lot in reference to himself, and obviously he doesn't have the title for that. Wonder where that might be going outside of New Japan, but involving a New Japan star, also known as the ace and the actual true ace. And... I'm wondering if there's going to be something where in the future, maybe, say, six months to a year from now, however long, if Kenny still has the title at that point in AEW and their relationship with New Japan is better, putting the title back on Okada or keeping it on Kota Ibushi, either one of them with the New Japan title and a title versus title, not one of them winning both, versus Kenny Omega with the AEW title. I think that would be a very special concept based on both of those men since they have so much to do with his New Japan career, uh, Kota and uh, Okada. So a lot of stuff, a lot of interesting stuff. I'm glad that they're addressing this stuff with John Moxley in the U.S. title. And to me, that is after he is defending against Kenny Omega in December for the title. I feel like Kenny's going to take that, like you said, and he won't have a title and he'll be able to lose the U.S. title and not be the champion of AEW at the same time. I think it would be dumb to do the opposite. Yeah, the only scenario where it makes sense for him to walk out of Wrestle Kingdom still the U.S. champion is if there is a working relationship between AEW and New Japan. Yep. So outside of that, it, it wouldn't make any sense for him to have the AEW title, go to Japan, lose, and there's no working relationship. So, it, I mean, it kind of books itself. Now, Gato might be like, fuck you guys, we'll hold off another month, and then he'll drop it at a random pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all that's always a possibility i mean the match that i'm most it, not to get too into this because i don't want to spend too much time on it but the match i'm still the most excited about is the osprey okada student oh, yeah. versus teacher uh, i mean to me that's kind of the best storyline they have going right now it's almost like owen and brett in a lot of ways to me you know you get this punk kid that thinks he's better than the guy that you know has been there for him and in one case, it's brothers, obviously, older brother by a lot. And this this one's more of, like, your mentor that you're fucking over. But I'm looking forward to that match in the ring. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, that, yeah, especially at Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, <laughs> it should be should be phenomenal. You know, the, it, um, it, 
if we put it in the Tokyo Dome, it's automatically going to get, a, I would say, about two more stars on the ratings than if you put it over <laughs> in, say, um, I don't know, anything place that WWE is doing. <laughs> it sucks! Uh, <laughs> The Naito, uh, the Naito Abushi thing, I, you know, that's probably, I mean, that's been a really good feud for a long time, but it's been going forever, seemingly. Like these guys have been feuding since the beginning of their careers, so I'm not as intrigued about that, and and I kind of see how that's going to play out. But the, the Osprey Okada thing they've teased for so long, that should be really great, and I think if the fans don't immediately latch to Abushi, we'll see the title back on Okada before G1. That's my hot predictions. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree with you. All right, well, uh, let's move from Japan. Uh, Before we get to our biggest fucking story that happened last night, I'm going to go over the card for tonight for uh, Impact's Turning Point um, special. We have Sammy Callahan going against Rick Swan for the Impact World Championship. These guys had a brutal match um, about a year and a half ago. An impact um, where Rich won. So they're coming back to this feud. Sue Young going against Diana uh, Perrazzo in a no DQ match for the Knockouts Championship. Sue Young was put in that place. She was still a Susie, but because of what happened with Kaylee Ray, she was supposed to win. Um, Sue Young was put in that place to beat her. I don't know if Diana is going to win back her title. The North is going against the Good Brothers for the Impact Tag Team Championships. Uh, we have uh, Rahit Raju, uh, open challenge for the X Division uh, Championship. It's going to be interesting with that. Chris Sabin, since Alex Shelley is actually legitimately hurt uh, from a nagging injury that he had to get surgery on, is going to be out for a little while. He asked his old opponent, James Storm, to help him out to go against Team Triple XL. Jordan Grace and Tanel Dashwood go against Taya Valkyrie and Rosemary. I believe this is a part of the tournament to crown the new women's tag team champions. Moose is going against Willie Mack. That should be fucking awesome. Brian Myers going against Hornswoggle. And Eddie Edwards versus Davari. Um, Don't know if I'll end up spending money on this, Chris, but if I can see it in some way, I'll check this out. I would definitely be interested in the North versus Good Brothers. and Actually, tag matches. And James Storm and Chris Saban versus Team Triple XL. I'm, I'm wondering if James is going to fuck him over in some way, based on their past with beer money and Motor City machine guns. What do you think about this card? I I would I think the card's pretty good, solid from top to bottom. The the North versus the Good Brothers to me is the probably going to end up being match of the night. Uh, I could easily see Chris Saban getting screwed over by James Storm just because if Shelley's going to be out for a while, that immediately sets up a feud in the future. The women's tag division. They have a steep roster, but man, it's just so hard to do do a women's tag division. Um, trying to think of the other matches that the uh, is it Willie Mack versus um, Moose, Moose, right? That should be awesome. Two big men slapping meat. I'm there for that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of on the same page as you. I'll probably check this out. I don't know that I'm $60 wanting to check this out. I think that's what they no. were charging for that last pay-per-view. More than I, AEW did for their last. Stupid. I, You know, I, I think they need to look at their pricing structure, and I know that they have... 
a smaller fan base, so it makes sense to charge a little more to try to make profit. I don't want to bash on them too hard for that, but uh, it's a big ask if you're like a casual Impact fan. Yep, I agree with you, but uh, I'll be checking out some of that or at least seeing some of the highlights uh, coming up soon. Um, And, you know, we have this situation, it seems. You know, I don't know if it was a first meeting uh, between whoever, but... You know, we've been talking about AEW and them extending arms with New Japan. They already have with AAA. They already have with MLW, NWA. The fact, and we're going to go, well, we can go into it now, but we're going to go over the pay-per-view. The fact that Don Callis was commentating on Kenny's match, him and Scott Demore run impact. I'm just wondering, since there's a lot of talk between the Young Bucks wanting to go against the the Motor City Machine Guns again, you know, between the Good Brothers and their relationship now has been patched up with Jericho and the Young Bucks. Also, obviously, the North and uh, what should we call FTR, they've wanted to have a match. You know, I, I'm just wondering if there's going to be some type of uh, benefit uh, or, you know, some type of situation where that happens. And we know that Impact, uh, like you told us, that one of their wrestlers, uh, I can't remember what his name is right now, but he's going to be a part of the Super Juniors tournament. So. Good stuff. Um, I have a hope for Impact, uh, like I do for Ring of Honor and a lot of organizations like that. It was uh, Bay, I believe. Yes, Chris Bay. Chris yeah, Chris Bay. Chris Bay is, is going to be part of the Super uh, the Super J Cup. There was one other person I can't think of right offhand, and then one Ring of Honor member that's going to be part of that tournament. But see, that's the, awesome. So it's it's just cool to see that floating around. I guess the biggest surprise for me on the Impact pay-per-view is that EC3's not there. He's not with them anymore now. Oh, so he's gone. Yeah, uh, apparently he might be doing appearances in the future, but he didn't do a long-term contract. So just like, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Mike Cur- or Matt Cardona with AEW, he didn't sign a long-term contract. I think they're floaters, man. So they're going to be able to get involved in other stuff based on the company. That's why he's in Ring of Honor for a little while, doing that match with the Briscoes against Shane. Um, oh man, I just listened to an interview with him. Shane Taylor and his crew. Yeah, I, I knew that he was he was doing stuff in the Ring of Honor, but I just thought maybe he had an open contract. I didn't realize that he was part timing in um, Impact. That's I don't know. Good for him. Maybe he's waiting for a bigger deal in the future. Maybe something long term. Hey, there's lots of wrestling. There's lots of places to go right now. So <laughs> that kind of sets up our next. That sets, sets up pretty well our next conversation. Plenty of places to go, and you know, talking about how AEW, a huge company that doesn't really have a lot of benefit except for having great wrestlers from different organizations being involved with all these other organizations, and looks like it's opening up more and more. Community. Do we have community in the biggest company? No, we do not. <laughs> um. So it was released last night that basically Zelina Vega and WWE, this is actually coming from the report from the Wrestling Observer, so this is kind of different from what I initially thought, but still fucked up nonetheless. So she already had talked to WWE. She said that she was going to continue to do Twitch. She called their bluff, and they let her go. Now, she went on Twitter and released that statement, I support unionization, pretty much shortly after that. And then after that, WWE, about 10 minutes later, put up the stuff. We released Selena Vega. We hope for the best in her future endeavors. Really good on Zelina. 
for putting that up there because this makes it look very much like it was that statement that caused 10 minutes later for WWE to get rid of her. But she was trying to control her narrative. Oh, like EC, like EC3 almost. Anyways, so she put on a link um, saying that she was um, you know, going to be on Twitch that night. Uh, remember her husband, Aleister Black, still works for the company. We found out that he apparently, because of this mainly, asked to be put back to NXT. Um, I don't think he likes the direction of his character and where it's going. Weird. And uh, they denied him. So Aleister Black might be put uh, through some tables, <laughs> I would say. Uh, Zelina did say a last statement um, saying, I want to say thank you all very much for the last three or four years. WWE Universe, it was incredible. I would have never uh, have been able to say this is for my dad if certain people did not believe in me. Love you all, and I couldn't have done it without your support. She admitted on Twitch that she was heartbroken, uh, that but she was sticking to her guns, and she wasn't going to be bullied out of this. We know that Paige is now having issues with WWE because she won't stop, so it looks like she's going to be probably let go here soon. She showed some support. A lot of wrestlers, uh, mostly out of WWE because a lot of people are scared, I guess, uh, but... Renee Young, you know, other people that used to work for the company, showing support to Zelina and her decision. And you get, you got it. Andrew Yang was not happy about this, that he's not, he even said that he's not stopping with his investigation on this. You know, if Biden becomes president, Yang's probably going to be somewhere involved within his cabinet or, or get some grasp. He has a relationship with Joe Biden. So Vince, for being fucking petty, for being fucking petty about this, you're going to be doing some fucked up shit to your own goddamn company is all I have to say. And that's going to affect everyone within the wrestling. And I wonder, if this gets turned around, and there is a union based on this, and these guys are considered independent contractors, what that will do to your fucking roster. This seems extremely stupid. Like I already said petty about three times. Um, and honestly, if you're a wrestler that doesn't think that they're going many places, and we have... Several that we know is unhappy. Some of them try to put on a good face, uh, like your uh, your ricochets. You know, some of them that are very blatantly talking about how unhappy they are, like Mustafa Ali. What says if they don't do the same thing that they won't just get let go so they can work out, you know, get paid throughout the, the time that they're, uh, you know, 90 days non-compete, and then just work out something in another fucking organization uh, this just seems really stupid by Vince and just will fucking really explode in his face. And I think there's another situation where Stephanie and Triple H are probably like, God damn it. He's fucking sinking the ship somewhat like this is going to hurt us. But you know how Vince is with pride, Chris. I think this is disgusting. I think this is absolutely exploiting your talent. I feel bad for Aleister Black. Um, you know, the way that he was used in NXT was awesome. The way he's been used on the main roster is a fucking joke. Um, I, I I feel bad for Zelina Vega. She brought a lot to two performers that had trouble being able to communicate due to both being from Mexico originally. And uh, she was a good mouthpiece and she's a good wrestler. They started using her. They're just giving talent for AEW to grab or someone else to grab where she can do really good stuff for. So, uh, it seems like a loss for WWE, but this really comes back to the crazy old man 
getting his fucking way by kicking and screaming. And this one, we're not talking about the opponent he had at WrestleMania not too long ago uh, that Bobby Lashley represented. Um, but yeah, what do you think about all this? It's a little disgusting to fire someone over a Twitch stream, really. I mean, I get that you've technically made their characters on your product and that maybe if they do something on Twitch, it could negatively affect your company and the sponsors that you have. But for the most part, these cats are just playing video games and having fun. They're not, you know, it's not like they're strip teasing or anything or doing anything unsavory. I mean, Twitch is a pretty safe place when it comes to that, as far as how they handle what's being shown on their product to the point where if you have Rob Van Dam and a, a hot tub, your entire wrestling product might get shut down for a while. Um, <laughs> it's the, we've talked about this in the past. It's just crazy to me to go after these people who are obviously doing this to make some extra money. Um, and maybe even just doing it for fun with the with with some of the people that are involved, like AJ Styles, who's huge into retro and classic video games and loves video games, or your Xavier Woods of the world, uh, Paige, for instance. Like, there's the crazy part to me is that the unionization is not about wrestling. <laughs> like, it's not about getting everyone health care or. Uh, having good retirement benefits or it's nothing like the NFL player union or the NHL's player union. They've somehow dug into this internet stuff that doesn't really affect their company at all in such a way that it could come back and bite them in the ass. And all it's really going to take is one, one person to catch on fire, one big star to turn on them and decide hey, I'm going to go over here with these other people and start a class action lawsuit. Or Andrew Yang getting involved, like you said, looking at their business practices, really digging in deep to them. The only stallmate there is that Vince still runs Connecticut, essentially. So anything you're going to do has to go through Connecticut state law. That's where the contracts would be upheld at unless it went to – I mean, this is something that could drag on forever and forever the only thing I would say about doing a union, especially if it's not WWE specific, is it does affect independent wrestlers who would be considered independent contractors or people that are going between multiple promotions. So it's a double-edged sword, but for you know the way WWE treats these people with holding their names and shutting down their Twitch streams and not letting them, you know sell their own merch and, and all of these different things that they've gotten away with from years. It, it's some, it seems like it's coming home to roost, I guess is the best way to say it. I get what Vince is trying to do in prevent because it is going to cost this company a lot of money. If, if they unionize it's, it is, I mean, there's no way around that, but what a weird heel to die on like Twitch. That's that. That's the one. It's also a weird hill to fight on. Honestly, I never thought that Twitch would be the thing that would make wrestlers want to unionize. Not the fact that you can you like concussion syndrome or quality of life after wrestling in the WWE or the, you know, your amount of pay or how you Sending can be released. Wrestlers, 
sending ex-wrestlers to rehab, even the ones that screwed them over financially by suing them like Raven. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just such a weird, weird dynamic. And, I mean, who cares? Like, Let me ask you this. What if, there's a big what if, but what if it was AJ that said no? Do you think that they would fucking fire him? I mean, if they were smart, they wouldn't, because that man would be back in New Japan in a heartbeat, would probably be working short dates and impact, would be eventually on the AEW product. I mean, hell, AEW already tried to pay this guy. And the only reason he stayed was loyalty to the way he was booked and growing up being a fan of WWE, right? And... (laughs) If he decided to come out and make a stand, that would be the big one. But the thing is with AJ, he's already said he's only wrestling for three more years. Like he said, when this contract's up, he's done. He's going home to hang out with his kids, which I actually believe coming from AJ Styles. Well, I'm just saying if I was AJ Styles, I'd be realizing I got a couple years and shit. I could be making some extra fucking money with Twitch and shit that. You know, I already won IWGP heavyweight champion, Ring of Honor heavyweight champion, both titles in WWE. You know, shit, what am I going to do next? Got the NWA title in TNA as well. Fucking go to AEW. Get that shit. But, you know, I'm from Gainesville. The other part, the weird part with people like AJ Styles is they own their name. So I don't even know how you could tell them them to switch streams. If they're not even using their fucking gimmick name, how are you able to tell someone using their normal name not to do something? Like, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I That whole, we're, you know, you're the downside of your contract, and a lot of that tie-in is beyond me, Dane. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about something a little more happy. We're going to find out more from the repercussions of this. I think... Zelina Vega, Tia Trinidad, she'll do great no matter where she goes. Actually, she'd probably be good because she's pretty good in the ring and she's great on the mic over in AEW in their women's division. Uh, if Impact gets that, there's just one more person, a part of their really good women's division. So she'll be fine. It just it sucks, and I hate it because I really like Aleister Black. I've hated how they treat him on their main roster. They've lost the rights to his music from the people that made it beforehand. And he's just going to get buried probably now. But let's get over this hump. Let's talk about a pay-per-view I was very happy with from this last weekend. Full gear. I think full gear, honestly, and I could be wrong, Chris, might have been the best AEW pay-per-view they put on this year from start to finish. Now, I will say one, two, three, four. I would say that Almost more than half of it was good, but it definitely trailed off towards the end, in my opinion. Um, I think they should have picked at least two other matches for the main event than the one they went for. Um, But every match, even the Hardy compound match, I enjoyed. Uh, They started off with a bang. They, you know, kind of kept on going and they like let it go down a little bit, but still had a funny, fun match. And then brought it back up with the TNT match. And, and, you know, it kind of would mainstay. They had an awesome tag match. 
I just think this was a really good pay-per-view, top to bottom, and I enjoyed a lot of the stuff that happened. There wasn't a lot of crazy people coming out, you know, that weren't a part of the company beforehand, any really big, you know, portrayals or, yeah. There, there was nothing, like, crazy that happened, storyline-wise, but they had a solid amount of matches, and specifically for me, the Deeb-Allison K match was amazing. I loved the Kenny Omega Adam Page match. I love their tag match. I thought it was awesome. And, and uh, I love their TNT belt with that Darby Allen and uh, Cody Rhodes specifically. Those were great matches. I had a lot of fun. But any stuff in between, some of it was not as great, but it still was a good match. But how did you feel, Chris? Do you think that this is one of their better pay-per-views as of recently? I mean, I, I feel the same way you felt about it as far as from top to bottom. This is the best pay-per-view they've had in a long time. And even Tony Khan came out and said, this is a return to our prime, is what he said, post-COVID. So I think he felt the same way. I know that there was more people in attendance than in normal shows. I think they had a 1,000. I think that helped the show. Uh, and they paid off all their storylines. You know, the Young Bucks uh in that tag match. I thought that was really great. The way they finished it. Um, we get the continuation of Kenny Omega and, and, uh, Adam hangman page having nothing left, but whiskey, uh, Sammy Guevara got deleted. It was just a good night overall with some great wrestling. I mean, we can get into some of the matches, but I have to agree with you. If you look at the past two pay-per-views, this by far was the best. And I will say like a lot of their wrestlers that seem like they're going to be the future, even if they lost, they had a great match within their loss uh, with Hangman Page, you know, and then Orange Cassidy ended up winning. Darby Allen won. Um, you would have Sammy Guevara lose and be put in the trash can, but it was still a huge spectacle, and he was able to perform. MJF won, uh, and Eddie Edwards was featured uh, as well. So I think that that's good with a lot of the people that they picked to be a part of it because you can tell that some of these guys, they see a lot of it within the future. So let's start off with the first match. And I really will say that if you did not catch this match on the pre-show, anyone out there, uh, you missed the better, I would say women's championship match on the uh, card. Serena Deeb had a match with Allison K. Uh, Allison K admittedly uh, through the commentary, I think Tony Schiavone brought up the fact that she just recently um, left NWA and she's a free agent. So I would not be surprised because based on her wrestling skills, uh, especially, and I do have kind of annoyances with Allison K, but that's kind of outside of wrestling, her wrestling. I can admit that she's a good performer. She's good on the mic. She's good as a heel and she's been good as a babyface in NWA. Her and Serena Deep had a great match. They used to be in a tag team. They've had a bunch of matches before in the Indies and Serena ended up winning uh, in, you know, getting back to the NWA World Women's Championship. Afterwards, Thunder Rosa made an appearance, came down there, and basically called out Serena Deeb, and it looks like we're going to have very soon uh, the, you know, the rubber match between the two ladies with Thunder Rosa winning the first one, Deeb winning the title the second time. We'll get a nice rubber match between the two of them. And, uh, yeah, just really stood out as a very solid match. How did you like this, Chris? Yes, it was a way better women's championship match than what we would get later on. Uh, Serena Deeb just continues to impress me as someone who 
didn't know a ton of her work outside of, uh, I guess it was the May Young tournament and the little bit I saw of her on NWA. I, I think that she's been absolutely phenomenal. Allison Kay, I thought was was good in the match as well. Uh, it would make sense that AEW would go out and try to sign her because they need to bolster the women's division. I think they're doing a decent job by rotating in the NWA roster to some extent during this downtime for NWA. But once again, it points to what we talked about on a previous show, which is the NWA title is more important than your women's title on your own show. Yep. You said specifically if they had the title match, that's what it would look like again. And they put it on the pre-show, but still it was better than their women's title match. Yeah, and I think the only way they're going to get around that is if they bring in someone like Carrie Zane or they pull some pullback, uh, God, Riho, or I, I don't know. They might need to dig into the stardom roster a little bit to, I don't know, re-elevate that division. I, I think this is part of the problem with them starting to build that division around so heavily around stardom wrestlers and then COVID happening. But having the NWS, the NWA wrestlers show up and just have bangers of matches is not a, necessarily a good look for your company and your company's women's division, especially when it's kind of flourishing everywhere else. Like against your direct competition, NXT's female roster is great. Impact's female roster is pretty fucking good. Um, and WWE, when they want it, when they want to be, can at least tell you some good, like give you some good matches, like whether it's Sasha and Bailey or Asuka and whoever you put in the ring with Asuka. I, I don't know. More of her and Charlotte in the future once Charlotte's back. Um, yeah, but I agree, man. I mean, it shine or shine down. <laughs> um, wow. Now I just screwed up. What, what's the um, the promotion over in Japan? The women's promotion. Stardom. I don't know why that's shine down, and that fucked my head up. Anyways. But their relation with stardom, I mean, there's, what, Amy Sakura, Riho, B. Priestley. That's, you know, now cut out because of COVID. They kind of had all of them there that really did great job with the matches. Now they're doing that with the NWA uh, with, uh, you know, Allison Kay and, and uh, Thunder Rosa. So, yeah, man, it, it doesn't help things. And, you know, if they have a relationship, it's cool to think of them in Impact. But Impact's women's division so stacked. It just kind of overshadow the people that they're trying to create. And yeah, they have Britt Baker, who I think Britt Baker's a pretty good in-ring performer. She's a damn good character. And several other ladies. Now, Serena Deeb is now officially a part of AEW. But it just, yeah, they, they definitely need to rely on some of their own homegrown talent uh, to get that, that division over. Because even their champion, Hikaru Shida, correct me if I'm wrong, she's from stardom. I believe so, but I think that her contract is up. So I think that she may be officially signed to AEW at this point. Um, But yes, originally, yes, I believe she is from stardom. Well, either way, great match. Let's move on to the next one. Another awesome match. I mean, if you said this is your favorite match on the whole thing, I could could see why. Uh, You had an awesome match with Kenny Omega going against Hangman Page. And... This is what I like about Hangman is his determination. He was pissed. He was angry. He was going to this match. You know, he didn't look like a sad puppy that drinks too much like he has throughout the course of all this. He did afterwards when he lost, but throughout the match, he was throwing everything he could at Kenny. I thought this was Kenny at his finest. I think that he's finally bringing back that element. 
I'm looking forward to Kenny in the future. <laughs> really just kind of curious, not for the best reasons with another match with him and Moxley, but this one being a wrestling match. But him and Hangman, they just really gel well together. Kenny ended up getting the win. He is now the number one contender. Uh, I loved the ending where Hangman, once he even gets into the one-wing angel, was still fighting and punching at Kenny, trying to reverse it before falling on his neck. One, two, three. That is it. Kenny Omega is your number one contender to go against whoever wins against John Moxley and Eddie Kingston at the end of the night. How did you like this opening match of the main card? 16 minutes, 25 seconds, Chris. I thought they gave us a, a wonderful payoff in the match. It was great. There's one spot where Kenny fucked up a move, but then just sold it like his knee was broken for a Brilliant. second, which was great. He's like, covered. I covered up my fuck up by not directly just going for the same move, which we see so much so often. Um Obviously, great back and forth, lots of V triggers. The uh, some of the reversals they had off Hangman going for the buckshot lariat, I thought was really great. And like you said, that finish, that the, the that in itself, if that's any other promotion, he reverses it, right? Or if it's any other performers, he reverses that, and then they go back, and and then Kenny eventually hits it. But no, and the way he sold it, um, shades of Okada versus Omega Three, where Omega finally got the title. So I don't know if he pulled that out of the Akata playbook, but it looked fucking great. I love the sullen, really sad hangman after the match because it fits with what he told us going into the match. He he said, I thought I was going to come here and win the title. Didn't do that. Won the tag team titles. I, I lost my tag partner. I lost my best friends. If I don't win this match and I can't get the title, then what do I have left but this glass of whiskey? So that's an interesting character development for me and it's going to be fun to see what they do with that character and and if anything this match paid off on a storyline that i didn't think was very good they should have spent a little more time building it and not as goofy as they did but at the end of the day i really enjoyed the match and i am excited to see where it goes uh as far as going forward from here now, I think that a lot of people in fantasy booking, and Tony Khan has said that he has no problem doing stuff that's obvious, if, if it makes sense, that he's not going to try to swerve you just to swerve you, uh, especially if it's a stupid swerve. But it makes sense that Kenny takes the, the title from Moxley, has a good reign, and then they come back to this eventually, and Adam Page is the one to beat Kenny to get that title within the future. I think that that would probably be the best way to have a payoff with all this. I, I could see them going that route. I could also see Kenny Omega going further and further into the deep end, uh, just being a complete lunatic <laughs> and, and also losing his friendship with the Bucks um, to the point where he's like destroying the Bucks and, and the hangman has to come out and make the save to set that up. So I, I, I do think they're going to go back to this at some point because eventually they're going to put the belt on Adam Page, and I think it's well-deserved. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with this character. That's the thing I'm most excited about is what are they going to do with Hangman's character after this? Does he end up as part of Tully's group? Is this the thing that breaks him because he has no one left? No friends. All he has is his glass of whiskey. So uh, it's interesting, man. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what what happens. You know, he, for all the comparisons, 
comparisons with uh, Barry Windham. You know, Barry was a big baby face, huge baby face. Everyone loved him, cowboy dude, you know, always going against the horsemen. And then he kind of had that snap period where he got dark, was managed by, I forgot who he was managed by, but did the loaded glove thing. And then he became a heel and joined the horsemen at the end of it. So I know where Cody's head is at and also where Tony's head is at because he watched a lot of that stuff during that time period. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see the evolution of uh, Paige. He's definitely not your stone-cold drink-beer-fuck-you type of babyface. He's the drink-beer-I'm-sad-now-I-want-to-fuck-someone-up babyface. Yeah, I think they did a good job of making him sympathetic with the outcome of this match and the promos leading into it. But yes, I totally agree. I could easily see him going that route. And uh, like you said earlier, Tony Khan has said he's not afraid to do the obvious. And I think a lot of companies should look at that and go... The reason it's obvious is because it makes the most sense and is the best thing to do 90% of the time. Yeah, people get on Triple H's ass, too, with NXT booking that it's obvious. It's like, well, sometimes obvious is good. If you look at the main roster, some of the stuff that they decide to fucking do, it's stupid. And a lot of stuff that Impact decided to do when they were still TNA back in the day. It's just, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, like, what what if you went... Like, what if you went to go see the new Halloween movie, Halloween Kills or whatever, and the very first scene, instead of Michael Myers styri- uh, stabbing someone, he just does it, breaks into a dance number. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sometimes Spider obvious is bad. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just like that. <laughs> yep. Well, I love this match. I'm glad that they put something in the middle to kind of change uh, the direction. Kind of a, a fun match, a funny match between probably two of the best singles matches. No, the two best singles matches, in my opinion, with Omega and Page, followed by Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes. So in between that, we had Orange Cassidy and John Silver, two guys by themselves. Both of them individually have been doing rounds. You know, Tony Khan finally caught wind of what they were doing on being the elite. Uh, he got caught up because he's obviously busy as fuck between many things, so he doesn't get a chance to catch up with stuff. And he saw what they were doing with Silver, and he's like, this a couple weeks ago, he told John Silver that he was in trouble and he needed to come and talk to him. And when John Silver got there, he just told me he was ribbing him that he was in trouble because he never displayed this type of comedy or anything on the actual product. So now they're trying to bring something out of him because of that. And I think it's a good idea. I have, I've been saying a lot about John Silver. I think he's great. This match was, was fun. It was stupid. It was funny. You had all the stuff that, that orange Cassidy does but I love Silver's, you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Kevin Owens a little bit, like how he would react to it. Like, that doesn't hurt. What are you doing? You're an idiot. And finally, he snaps after Orange Cassidy gets, like, the first speedy thing, but he gets a hold of him. He rips out his fucking pockets. And then we have a, a good match between two good wrestlers uh, that, you know, it wasn't too long. I think it was probably, like, what? It was nine minutes, 40 seconds, and Orange Cassidy got a win over John Silver. So now we have more animosity with... Orange Cassidy and the Dark Order. Uh, uh, I thought this was fun. I just think it's weird. I know they're doing this for storyline. I'm just wondering where they're going. Brody Lee has not been on TV since he lost the TNT title to Cody. Still has not come out. He's not on being the elite. So I'm just wondering where they're going with that. And I like John Silver. I love the comparison. You know, I haven't seen a lot of him, but of uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Chris comparing him to uh, Buzz Sawyer. Uh, just this this frumpy big dude that's kind of crazy and says a lot of fucking shit, but obviously he's a bit more comedic. 
But uh, I, I like this, and it was a fun match, uh, a cushion match, if you will, Chris, between the two big matches right off the start. Chris? Sorry, I accidentally muted my headset. Uh, no, I think that you're, you're spot on. To me, this felt like just a decent AEW TV match. But it was fun, and it gave some air to the whole event. Um, if I had to guess where they're going to go after this, to me, it's, it's, it's something I pitched a few weeks back, which is we haven't seen, at least on the main product, I don't remember the last time we saw Brody Lee and Evil Uno. Um, it would make sense that Brody Lee comes back and has to put this guy in his place to reclaim stake to his group. And that Orange Cassidy is going to move on to something different. Because remember, at the end of this match, John Silver was winning and he decided to do Brody's move, fucked it up, and lost because of it, basically. I like that. Yeah, and I, I, that just to me makes the most sense because at the end of the I mean, the thing that makes it funny on be, being the elite is the fact that Brody Lee is just abusing these guys. So, berating them, cussing at them. It's great. Uh, all right, so next match. Uh, this might have been my favorite match of the night. It's either this or a tag match. And I love the first match as well, but they were all very solid. Darby Allen, Cody Rhodes. Uh, I feel like Arn Anderson's going to turn on Cody, man, especially because of this. But he's got now much bigger things to worry about, but no pun intended. It's for the AEW TNT Championship, and this was basically, I mean, this had to have been structured off of Sting and Flair. With Cody, which I always say, babyface, he does a lot of Sting stuff, obviously heel stuff, he does a lot of Flair stuff, but that has nothing to do with the booking decision, how, if you look at their draw match, how that kind of is very similar to, you know, the match that he had, I believe, at Clash Champions in 88, with Sting, where they went to a draw. But when Sting finally beats him in 90 for the title, Flair was a gracious loser. He didn't, you know, shake his hand at the end of it, you know, but Sting got a roll-up out of nowhere, and Flair just didn't, there was no horseman attack. People came out, put Sting on their shoulders, and Flair just realized that he was, you know, defeated from that. But it just seems like that type of relationship between the two of them, they've had a lot of similarities, I would say, that I think were intentional between those two feuds. And this was a situation where Cody, dead inside his head, uh, he, he was cocky in places he didn't need to be cocky, which he's already been called out from Arn, and he stopped doing it for a little while when he retained the TNT championship and was just more straightforward. He went back and started doing that shit again. He was working on Darby's arm, and I think the best part is where he tucked Darby's arm and threw him outside, and he fell right the fuck on it. Just looked completely devastated, you know, but Darby is a badass fighter. He doesn't give a shit. He is aggressive. You know, we've all, we've, we've heard the comparisons, great comparisons towards him. Jeff Hardy, Vampiro, Sting, you know, he's just got that, not that reckless abandonment, nothing to lose type of mentality, that intensity to him. And they had a outstanding match, I will say. And, uh, God, Darby's, Darby's got to, it's like, I don't want him to do 
his suicide dives because he literally looks like just like coming out with like a fucking just so much force and aggression. But if he hit anything else besides the person, it could be pretty bad. But he just puts himself on the line. He ends up beating Cody in a series of roll-ups. There was a part, you know, Darby's one of the first guys I can remember. Maybe MJF, I, I don't know, that, that, that kicked out at the crossroads. And when, they, when Cody did the avalanche crossroads, I love that part where Darby just has so momentum. And you can, you can kind of believe it because he's smaller that it took him all the way. And it's not like he touched the ropes. It's just that, like, you know, they started the count. And Mike Chioda, great job refereeing, by the way, throughout the whole entire fucking thing. Mike Chioda noticed that Darby's arm was just underneath the ropes. It just pulled off so great. So he kicked out of, of, of Crossroads. Cody, first person to kick out of uh, the coffin drop. I just thought that they did it great. I mean, they both got their shit in. It was a solid match, told a great story. Cody got cocky, and Cody got caught. And now, even though they're still teaming together, I, I think that there's going to be a heel turn from Cody in the future. I would not – I mean, if, if, if the original thing was – you know, this might be a horseman thing, and it was all rumored to be FTR with Adam Page and Cody. Seems like that could actually happen now, and I would not doubt it. Cody's one of the best promos. He'll be a great fucking heel if he decides to go that direction, but he's going to completely smear Darby and just destroy him. And uh, this was this was Darby's night, man. I know that with the after effect, uh, Taz comes out. You know, he's distracting them. Then we have Brian Cage. I didn't really need any of this shit, but that's fine. Brian Cage and Ricky Starks attacks them. They fight them through the crowd. They bring them in the back. They're about to break Darby Allen, which basically they're fucking up Darby. Cody came for the save. They bring Darby to his car. They're about to smash it in the the uh, the, the the door. Willie Hobbs, Will Hobbs comes out with a chair. Um, and just scares off the heels. So that's something going forward. We're going to be seeing a two-on-two match next week, but that's not here nor there. The heart of the match, I thought it was a very well-told story. I thought both guys performed amazingly, and I love seeing Darby finally get the win from Cody. Like I said, certain if I watched it a second time. I watched all the matches I liked the most a second time, and I watched the 1990 uh, match where Sting finally beat Flair for the championship. And obviously, outside of the Sting being stronger than Flair and being able to, like, you know, press slam him, there was a lot of similarities, I thought, between both matches. So kudos to them for providing this. TNT title still looks, I mean, as just, as, as just prestigious or honestly, because of how stale their main world title may be a little bit more prestigious, at least in my eyes. What do you think, Chris? I thought this match was really, really great. I don't know if it's my favorite Cody Rhodes match, but it was really good. I liked the finish. Um, They hit everything you would expect them to hit. The avalanche spot, like you were talking about, was was great, the way they played that off. And and like you said, Mike Chioda did a great job refing in this match, and I still don't understand why WWE let this guy go. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Um, but good for him. Um, I guess my biggest thing here is you have to turn Cody heel at this point because he's been taken to the limit by both Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen. 
I mean, in theory, he should have lost Orange Cat. Orange Cassidy had him dead to rights because of his overconfidence and cockiness. Now, if he takes that overconfidence and he turns it into what Ric Flair was and how Ric Flair would cheat and find ways to win, then that becomes a more intriguing character. Uh, he would be a great heel promo for sure. So uh, uh, most of the stuff I agree with you on, the uh, I don't know that Arn is necessarily going to turn against him as much as just disassociate himself with Cody. But it's 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 interesting. I liked the aftermath. I know a lot of people didn't, but I like the aftermath because I think it's just setting up the match for blood and guts because that's going to be a multi-man match and we're still not 100% sure on what teams they're going to have there. So uh, to me, that seems like what they're fleshing out. Building ahead of time, maybe. I could see that. All right, well, the next match, Shakira Shida going against Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero for the AEW Women's World Championship. (sighs) This match was just kind of there. For me, this was about equivalent, I would say, of like a match that we'd see on AW. There were a couple botches. And the ending, I just thought it was really burying Nyla Rose, honestly, uh, who to me is a top competitor. I like Hikaru Shida. I think she's good in the ring. I've just gotten over her as a champion. To me, get Nyla in that picture and put Britt Baker in kind of a tweener mode. And go against her. People are liking her regardless if she's a heel because of her involvement with Tony Schiavone. So kind of take advantage of that. She can still be kind of arrogant and stuff like that and still get away with it. But I kind of figured that Sheeta was going to be done at this point. I definitely didn't expect Vicky turning on Nyla and slapping her in the face and Nyla just taking it. And the fact that Hikuri Shida, you know, Nyla was going to go for Hikuri Shida's move to her. She blocked it. And then later... You know, she did her, um, what the hell is it called? Uh, basically, the, the, the front body slam suplex where both legs come out. I can't remember what the hell it's called. Uh, Falcon Zero. Um, and didn't pin her. She stopped the pin, was all smiley about it, and then got her knee move on her to get the, the win. Uh, it just seemed like not the best thing to do to Nyla Rose, especially followed up by Vicky just, you know, screaming at her and then slapping her in the face. Um, I don't know. I don't know where they're going from this. Like we said, it's kind of sad because the NWA Women's Championship match, uh, just how good it was, probably should have been traded with this. But it, they weren't going to do that, but I'm just saying. What do you think, Chris? I, I think the Sheeta versus Nyla Rose, the first match they had, where Sheeta was clearly the underdog, was a way better match than this match. It's seems to me like they're trying to make Sheeta Asuka, and she's not Asuka. She, she's not as believable in that role of being unbeatable and crazy. She, no. doesn't, she doesn't fit that mold the same way, but it seems like that's how they're trying to book her, especially if you're going to have her beat a monster like Nyla, who was on an undefeated streak headed into this match. Now, I guess, I mean, you get the Vicky Guerrero aspect, but it didn't really have an outcome on the match at all. because Nyla just no-sold it. So it's, I I don't know. This match was... No, she told her to hit her. She literally told Vicky to hit her. (laughs) So this, I mean, to me, this was the worst match on the card. I I think both Nyla and Sheeta are good. It's just, Sheeta doesn't have enough 
aggressiveness for me to believe that she would, you know, let off a pin to only put on another move. Like it's, that's one of those things in wrestling where it's a little too far fetched with the character. And they've not given us enough of Sheeta just absolutely destroying people for me to believe it. Like with Asuka, she destroyed people for a full year. So that believability is always going to be there. With Sheeta, it's like you beat Nas- uh, you beat Nyla Rose for the championship the first time because you used a kendo stick. And then you got taken to the limit by, you know, someone that's not even your company, which is uh, Thunder Rosa. And you haven't really been on TV since. And I'm supposed to believe that you're an absolute monster destroyer. So this match just... Everything about it, from the storytelling, etc., just didn't do anything for me. I think most of the in-ring stuff was good. There was a few botches, like you said. I mean, it wasn't, by any by any means, this wasn't, like, egregious, like a Kali match or anything. But she, <laughs> Sheeta is your champion. She's your fucking champion. And you're getting overshadowed every week you put one of these NWA females there. So what either you need to have her just beat the living shit out of everyone that shows up or you need to figure out a way to get the belt off her uh Britt baker being a, a shitbag heel and cheating to win the title would probably make the most sense at this point since now since you've made Sheeta an unstoppable monster yeah i agree i think Britt's the next person she'll probably take that title off of her just uh strange with how much they've built nyla as of recently and uh what they're gonna do with her and vicky but another one of my favorite matches. This really could have been my favorite match. Uh, with the Young Bucks going against FTR. The dream match. Did they build up such a dream match to get you know the expectations of fans into this? No, they didn't. Actually, their build-up fucking sucked, honestly. Uh, but, you know, somehow throughout this match and the last couple of interviews as of recently... I thought they finally did a good job of it. No need to have the Young Bucks have their little heelish shit. I mean, it's completely negated. They even apologized to Alex Marvez in the last one, so they were just having hissy fits, I guess. Um, we knew that Matt has a minor injury within his leg. I'm pretty sure he was selling the opposite for the display of the, uh, the match itself. Um, but that was known. And, uh, yeah, they just... Matt's a badass, man, because he was in there, I I would say, a majority of the time. And he took a lot of punishment, but uh, he still just fucking finished it out. And apparently he admitted it is minor, but it's something that he's going to have to deal with in the future sometime soon. And it could get worse based on something that happens in a match. So he's just sticking with it. But uh, I liked everything they did, man. They had this old school feel to it. You know, I, I don't think that Matt and Nick uh, really did too much crazy shit in it, I would say, compared to what they normally do. There was even that part where Nick does his spot where he hits both people. He goes and does a running knee, and then he goes and, you know, flawlessly goes to the apron and does a moonsault. He tried to do it to Cash, and Cash just fucking destroyed him uh, from there. And I liked stuff like that. I liked all the uh, the... The things that both teams did as as paying respects to past tag teams, you know, besides the bulldog off the top ropes uh, that the Steiner brothers did for FTR. They also did one of Midnight Express's uh, finishers. They also did 
you know, they 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 did a they did the the spike pile driver. Obviously, you had the Bucks doing the double super kicks for the Rockers, the double drop kicks at one point for the Rock and Roll Express. They did. Uh, well, they were. Tr- the funny thing is, it was it was a really cool spot where FTR tried to give them the Dudley device, the 3D, and they got it blocked. And then they did it to them, the Young Bucks to uh, FTR, and then followed it up with uh, the Hardys maneuvers. Uh, of the twist of faith going into the uh, what you call it the Swanton bomb, and it was great because a lot of people had a problem with it because obviously those moves should finish it, but you know Bully Ray was the one who was saying if you're not the originator, you might not know the correct way of doing it if you're keeping kayfabe, and it was a nod to everyone, and I thought that both teams did a great job of that, and Cash Wheeler man he was the MVP in this match. Scott Dawson had an injury that they they kept on exploiting, but he kind of uh, fucking, you know, cut the web in between his fingers. So they just worked on his hand. The whole concept was FTR was trying to keep the Young Bucks off their feet because it's flips versus fists. And the Young Bucks were attacking the hands of FTR. But Cash, that one... It was basically Big E's spear, but that he just ran out and fucking speared Nick to the outside was awesome. Uh, I thought that all all the guys did a great fucking job. And I like that it ended up with something simple with Cash deciding to finally not do what they normally do, doing the springboard 360, missing it. And, you know, Matt, even with the hurt leg, he finally got one super kick, just one super kick. To end it, um, I loved how they all covered. Basically, you know, if if there was a false finish from whatever move, the other person was in there to break up the pin almost immediately. It looked competitive as shit. Uh, you know, I loved what both the Young Bucks said about FTR afterwards, and what Dax wrote about uh, Young Bucks afterwards too on Twitter. This is not the end. I think these guys are going to continue to have great matches, and I'll just say that I thought that. I thought that FDRs had great matches with American Alpha. Thought they had a great match with DIY. There was a great ladder match with uh, AOP and DIY against them. I really think that this was their best choice of competitors. Um, and Young Buck said this might have been theirs as well. I think that they really reflect each other. This is Midnight Express versus Rock and Roll Express. This is Brain Busters versus the Rockers. This is the Hardys versus the Dudleys. This is uh, Mercy Machine Guns versus Beer Money. They just have that thing about them, and they can continue to make money. Um, I know that a lot of people had a problem with the fact that FTR lost. And to me, I wouldn't have had so much a problem if Young Bucks made that stipulation. I would not have put, like, if we lose and we're never going for the titles. It just really mapped things out to me. But it still was a great match. I know this is not done between both teams. They're already talking about the rematch happening in the future. And... uh, I, I I was I was thoroughly impressed for the for the hype of this. It was great. I love Kenny coming out at the end. I love Adam Page being in the background, like slightly talked about in one of the uh, entranceways, just drinking, and then he leaves. But Kenny was out there to celebrate. You know, Kenny is going to get the title. They they have the tag titles. The elites coming back is what they're trying to project, or at least that might happen, depending. But um. This is a great fucking tag team match. They didn't have to do a bunch of crazy stuff. Neither team did too much 
like neither team basically did what they're known for. Like FTR wasn't slow, and methodical. They were going fucking, you know, when they had to, 90 miles a minute. The young bucks weren't just fucking jumping around everywhere. Stuff that they tried to do like that got negated. Like I just thought it was a very well done tag match. So I'll shut the fuck up, Chris. What do you think? Well, before you shut the fuck up, I'll ask you a question. Was this match better than the Young Bucks versus the Golden Lovers? <sighs> I I don't know about that. That was a great tag team match. Um, but it was it's it's up there to me. And the only reason I bring this up is because some of the Young Bucks' best matches is when Matt Jackson is just selling an injury. <laughs> True. It slows them down. It makes them more methodical. It makes them tell a story in the ring. And I thought that they told a really good story. You, it, the way you simplified it is perfect, but it's also like the silliest thing ever if you were telling someone <laughs> that's not a wrestling fan. You know, it's like, well, no, but like, they only use their fists, and these other people, they have to jump. So you got to take their legs out. So this is a fist versus legs match, which that is what it is. Yep. Um, did Matt hit the super kick barefoot? I'm trying to remember. He did. Okay. So they they really sent that home. There was some thought that went into this match. I thought it was very good. Um, and... and and, you know, FTR lost because they went outside their comfort zone. So you, you got to assume that Tully's going to coach him up on that. But it, as far as everyone's complaints on them hitting the finishing maneuvers, Lance Storm was upset about this, too. I think it just depends on what generation of wrestling fan you are. Like, the finisher should be the finisher. Uh, but, like, on that same podcast, Brian Alvarez is like, yeah, but, like, if I hit a single leg crab, it's not the same as if Lance Storm hits a single leg crab. It's your move. You know, I'm just doing the move. I don't know how to properly apply it. That's like and it how made... Jake and, and Arn both say about the DDT. Well, you know, I'm not going to do it as good as Jake, and we're no one's going to do it as good as either one of us. So it, you know. it, it reminded me of that Stone Cold podcast where he was trying to tell <laughs> Kevin Owens how to properly apply the Stone Cold stunner. Yeah. To win matches. Uh, it had so I, it didn't bother me at this point. Like, look, they were putting on a fun show for the fans. They gave you a bunch of really cool spots. Obviously, these both of these tag teams care about tag team wrestling. It's not just two dudes thrown together. Now you're a tag team. They love tag team wrestling, and that's what tag team wrestling needs. It's been few and far between with like groups like Beer Money and. And Motor City Machine Guns, like it's not an everyday thing that you get a true tag team that's we're a tag team. We don't care about the singles to run, right? And and that to me is is what made this match great. I I had no problems with the shout outs to all those different tag teams because those are those guys, um, and that's what makes tag team wrestling great. I, I'm glad they highlighted it. I wouldn't go as far to say this is my favorite match of the night or anything. I thought it was a very very good match. Um, but I would probably give the nod to the Hangman Kenny Omega match, honestly. But I could I could definitely see an argument. Yeah, and I just like I said, I like the respect of uh, both groups of guys. And you know, I heard what the Young Bucks had to say about them, and they didn't have to put them over this much. And just a level of stress that both of, both teams put on themselves. And Scott Dawson said extremely nice things about. You know, his main thing was like he was focused, like, do I think it's a dream match? 
I don't know. I just hope it makes you guys enjoy wrestling. That's all I care about. You know, we we went out there. We tried to put on the best wrestling match we could. And I think that if you guys enjoyed it, that's all that matters. And that's kind of what Matt and Nick said. And, uh, you know, we'll leave it at that. And hopefully the next encounter will be where they both will main event it like Matt and Nick want to do that. That's their big next is main eventing a pay-per-view with a tag team championship match. So I think, I think the two of them can put off that. I wish that we could get, you know, uh, Kenny and Adam involved in there, but that's not going to happen or maybe LAX, but either way, these are your two tag teams that I want to see at least between the two of them more of within the future. So I would, I would say we haven't had a ladders match in AEW yet. That yeah, that that could main event a show. I think so. I think so for sure. Specifically with those two teams, FTR and, and the Young Bucks, that that could easily main event a show. If that's, I, I would assume that that's where they're going to go if they're talking about main eventing a show. All right, so uh, let's move on. As soon as I find my place again. All right, so we have the next match, the Elite Deletion match. Yes. Oh, God. All right, so Matt Hardy going against Sammy Guevara. It was 20 minutes. I understand people were like, this was way too fucking long. But I will say that this could be the last. God, if it could. If this could be the last one. This would be a good one to end on, honestly, because this is Matt going back to finishing his story. So I think that would be kind of fitting. I liked a majority of it. I know it was ridiculous. At least they had fucking wrestling rings involved. You know, I, I liked the involvement of Private Party and LAX. Uh, I loved seeing Gangrel uh, in Hurricane Helms. So if people didn't understand when Hurricanes called what the heck? And he's like, sorry, I had to get out of this company. Blah, 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 blah. That was in reference to the Halloween special that he did on WWE, which was the only thing they let him do involved in the... Even though they fought for the fucking rights from Impact, that was the only thing that they 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 did on there involving the Hardy compound. And he had a big party, and at the end of it, we found a masked assailant that had Hurricane Helms uh, tied up. So that's what it went back to. So being Gangrel, which is awesome because he was saying he mentored Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy was the second brood along with Jeff uh, before they became the Hardy Boys and got away from him. And he also literally trained Sammy Guevara. So it was kind of a cool dynamic. Like fireworks was ridiculous. You know, a lot of the stuff they did was ridiculous. I loved JR just being kind of like, what the fuck, but still trying to put it in there. He's like, we got two sets of matches going on. This is crazy, you know, and Tony's involvement. I loved how I don't think anyone realized they were supposed to commentate. And then I think, like, like Tony was like, guys, what are you doing? Like, commentate. Because all of a sudden, like, ten minutes in, Excalibur's like, well, this is a crazy match, you know, and they just went for it. But um, it was fun. It wasn't, it wasn't anything too egregious. They had some cool spots. There was blood, you know. Uh, I liked all that stuff, but Hurricane getting thrown in the uh, Lake of Reincarnation, I thought that was funny, coming out as the mild-mannered uh, version of himself and then getting thrown back in there, coming back as Hurricane. It was just an ode to Matt Hardy and this concept that he created. He had three in Impact, 
Yeah, one half-ass one WWE. This seems like it's his last time doing this. And if we could not see these fucking segmented, you know, cinematic matches, uh, that would be great. But I doubt that will happen. But um, glad the feud's over. Thought Sammy probably should have won, honestly. But let's get Sammy involved with something else. It looks like they're trying to build up him and MJF in the future. So that will be good. But uh, let's get Matt doing something else. He can still do the broken Matt Hardy now that they have people in the audience. And, and just not have to do a compound match anytime soon. What do you think, Chris? I think there's just wear and tear on my ability to watch segmented matches at this point. Or these way big cinem- cinematography jerk-off matches. Um I'll say this. I really liked the finish because they alluded back to one the spot where Matt Hardy got hurt when he went when he was going for trying to go through that table and then uh when Sammy was busted open Matt throwing the chair at him for the finish. I thought that was pretty good. Some of the guest appearances were fine. Um at one point didn't Sammy Guevara hit a like a moonsault off a monster truck or am i making this up <laughs> probably i don't know <laughs> uh I, it's just i don't know man without jeff there it's not it's just not the same <laughs> um it was fine i guess but, you know, I've buried so many of these matches in the past six months that I, I don't feel a need to say that I liked this. I didn't I didn't like it. I liked the finish. I thought it was a good callback. And um, if you're if you're on Twitter, Chris Jericho posted a picture of all of the inner circle, including Wardlow and MJF, all happy and smiling and uh, Ortiz and <laughs> Sammy Guevara looking very sad and very disappointed. Well, at least there's that. Um, I guess from there, we should probably head to AEW for their show. For the next thing to talk about. Like I said, pay-per-view. Oh, me and Chris. We got, we got one oh, big yeah, important about match the left. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Well, I thought we were done. Um, never mind. Uh, oh, no. There's two matches. Jesus fucking Christ. I can I can do a quick synopsis over the title match when we get there. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. I pretty much have a quick thing to say about that as well. Um, all right, so before that, we had MJF versus Chris Jericho. I mean, the main thing, MJF out-healed Chris Jericho. I think that was the whole point of it. And stuff afterwards did not happen the way I thought they were going to happen. Uh, you know, uh, but MJF... Ended up beating Jericho by some tomfoolery. And uh, he won, and then Chris Jericho embraced him and allowed him to join the inner circle. Um, this match wasn't anything too great. I love seeing Jericho pull a uh, Frankenstein or Super Can Run off the top ropes, whatever you want to call it. Um, haven't seen him do that in years. Uh, you know, and they had a pretty good match. I like that he was going to go for, you know, he asked for Wardlow to come out. He gives him the ring. Chris Jericho calls for Jake Hager. He throws the bat, you know, and from there, Jericho uh, was, you know, 
going to hit him with it, and then he threw it at MJF, who threw it back at him, and then did the whole Eddie Guerrero thing. Uh, you know, after when Aubrey looks, she's like, what the hell? And she's yelling at Chris Jericho. He gets rolled up. One, two, three. MJF is the better heel. I don't know where they're going with the inner circle stuff. We'll see. They're going to Vegas next week. Uh, but how'd you feel about MJF beating Chris Jericho at his own game, basically? I thought the match itself was just okay. Uh, I like the tribute to Eddie Guerrero that you just talked about, but it would mean more if anyone ever got disqualified in their company. (laughs) Uh, Outside of that, you know, yeah, like no one's ever been disqualified. So (laughs) like I know Audrey is the hard nosed referee, but she's never really disqualified anyone. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was fun. It was crazy seeing Jericho hit a Hurricane Rana. Um, at this point, Jericho should only be brawling, and and I don't mean that in a mean way because it's incredibly impressive. This guy's almost fifty years old, or is fifty years old, and is still able to do what he's able to do in the ring. But it might be time to change the style just a little bit. Yeah, I have to agree with you. All right, so the last match, Chris, I got it right this time, (laughs) was the championship match. We had John Moxley, the AEW world champ, and an I quit match going against Eddie Kingston. (sighs) This was not my favorite match. Um, it's It's not that it wasn't bad. I just, I've seen Mr. Dean Ambrose produce some damn good matches in WWE. Nothing too crazy to write home about, but where he didn't have to, you know, resort to this many crazy gimmicks outside of it. And obviously his run in New Japan. uh, I was hoping for something along the lines of him and Suzuki. I didn't need some CCW fucking bag of thumbtacks. Uh, It just... To me, the bag of thumbtacks uh, is becoming predictable. And that should not be. That should be something you pull out, and it's like, what the fuck? And uh, maybe for the live audience, that worked. But if anyone going in, I was hoping for a brawl. I wasn't hoping for it to have to get to ridiculous lanes. And uh, they did that. Um, I don't know. I don't. I've I've seen Eddie in other matches, and they were good matches, but they were hardcore matches, like the ones that he had with Kevin, Kevin uh, Owens, Kevin Steen. So I don't know if I have much experience of him on the opposite, but I know for a fact Moxley, his New Japan stuff, him and Minoru Suzuki had a brutal fucking match, and they didn't they didn't need a lot of stuff. And you know, it's kind of just the way I see you know perceive things. When he was in WWE, Moxley gave me a Piper type feel to him. The way that they were trying to do the lunatic fringe and how he'd just be crazy and just start punching someone or make, you know, backhanded compliment or comments, not compliments, opposite. But when he went to New Japan, he almost had like a Terry Funk, almost Stan Hansen type of vibe to him, where he was just that guy that was going to brawl and just, you know fight him and had some good matches, especially throughout the G1 tournament, where he didn't have to go for a bunch of crazy stuff. And the attitude now, him calling himself like the champion of the people and the way he struts and has this cool factor, but he's still a tough guy. 
you know, he has given me like a DDP type of feel to him. He's got that move out of nowhere. You know, when he's addressing people, he has like this demeanor about him of confidence and cockiness and also charisma. Uh, but Diamond Dallas Page to me was in one of the best fucking brawls of all time at 97 Halloween Havoc against Macho Man Randy Savage. They didn't need a bunch of crazy ass shit. And I just, you know, between the barbed wire bat, pulling the barbed wire off, I mean, it's all impressive that you can deal with pain that way. And it wasn't as bad as his match with Kenny Omega. And when Kenny came out after he got finally Kingston to say I quit by taking the barbed wire and choking him out uh, with it, um, you know, Kenny said straight up, we're not going to be doing one of these matches. We're going to do an actual wrestling match. And, you know, Moxley said, bring it on. So they're, they're going for that aspect. This is going to be a normal wrestling match. I just think that this has kind of hindered John Moxley is that a lot of his matches that he's had, he kind of has to have all this different type of plunder uh, involved. And I'm not just talking about one table spot or maybe like a chair spot. It seems like all of them are no DQ. There's a good chance you're going to see, you know, some type of thumbtack thing. I just don't know if I personally need it. And I don't know if necessarily the World Heavyweight title just needs to be that. I think that's the reason why. To me, the TNT title has kind of held up a bit more because they're long, drawn-out wrestling matches. But I'm not trying to... I, I still like Moxley a lot. I think he's one of the best promos in the business. I just was kind of rooting for Kingston, found out real quick that's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, he's going against Pac now. That should be interesting, I guess. You have polar opposites of concept. But I was kind of wanting Kingston to win and, you know slowly develop himself into a badass baby face because I think that he has that emotional level that connect and who gives a fuck about his size. You know, if he were to go completely buddy baby face, I think he could be your, your, your Bronx or he's from Yonkers. It's right next door to it, but kind of dusty almost like, you know, just have that emotion, that raw emotion and also a little bit of the comedy, but he has that ability to do something like that. And I thought this was kind of cheap. I don't know. But it was still a good match. It was still brutal. If you like that type of stuff. I mean, I used to watch fucking FMW. But it just kind of grew out of it. And uh, I was enjoying more of, like, the strong style suplexes on their necks. I didn't give a fuck that Eddie Kingston was doing a Misawa tribute. I love that he uh, did the whole ring thing that that Tracy Smothers does uh, to kind of pay tribute to him. And I like that he had a Misawa outfit on. It was kind of like basketball attire, basketball shorts and shirt, but in the color scheme of Misawa. I know a lot of people bitched about that, think it's stupid. But, um, yeah, was kind of let down by this, Chris. What do you think? I think they gave us exactly what they said they were going to give us. So I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, I, 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 once again, I'm not a huge fan of these types of matches, but I thought this was a good example of it. I mean, Moxley saying, I'm going to, uh, telling him to protect his neck to quote the Wu-Tang. Uh, he literally wraps barbed wire around his neck and puts him in a chokehold and pretty much would have sawed his head off if he didn't quit, which is what, you know, they had alluded to <laughs> the fact that you're going to have to kill this guy to get him to quit. I think that's what Kingston even said. Didn't Kingston even say, like, you're going to have to kill me? And Moxley took it there. Like, he really went to that dark place and was going to kill him, even though there's the relationship between their mother, uh, the mother and, and Moxley and Kingston. Um, 
And I like Kingston standing up and everybody wanting the handshake and he just walks away. I felt like the crowd was really behind the finish of the match. Um, outside of that, it was a hardcore match. They hit each other with shit. Uh, there was a couple cool suplex spots like you like you alluded to. I will say this about Moxley. Um, didn't he already beat Kenny Omega in a straight-up wrestling match after the hardcore match? Because I thought they had a rubber match already. I don't remember that, actually. And I know that he beat, you know, Brian Cage. He beat Brian Cage Brian clean. Cage. And I'm pretty sure he beat Brody Lee clean, right? So it just, the thing is, is when you do these kind of matches and you build it into your character, it overshadows the other stuff that you do. Well, he had a hardcore match with Brody Lee. I remember that. Okay. He put him right. through part of the stage <laughs> at one point. Okay, all right. I may be wrong on that one, but the cage match was clean. Because you just so the he, just have a fucking wrestling match like you've been doing in New Japan. Like, why do you have to have these fucking stupid, crazy matches every goddamn time? I mean, if the buildup is who's the better wrestler, him versus Kenny Omega, then this isn't that far fetched, right? Because Kenny will win that. Yeah. For, but I'm pretty sure they have that match already. I need to go back and check, but I'm, I. I thought for sure that they had had a match where Moxley had somehow out-wrestled Kenny, and then that set up that hardcore match. Um, either that or vice versa. I could be wrong, but it, it, it makes sense. I mean, the, it, all signs point to the belt coming off Moxley anyways in December, about earlier with New Japan. I think Eddie Kingston still could be a huge baby face coming out of this. I think the crowd is behind him, even if he lost to Moxley, honestly. And I, I liked the finish. Yeah, I I liked the finish of the match. I'll say that, but I'm with you. And I also like at the end of it, uh, Moxley has like thumbtacks stuck in his forehead. And he's like, uh, he's, you know, he does his normal thing where he talks into the camera and he's like blood and guts. That's what a champion's made out of. Uh, which is a little bit of a shot at WWE. That's very true. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be uh, interesting to see him and Kenny for the title, but I feel like that's going to be finally. And I mean, it's not like Moxley hasn't had the fucking title for a very very long time. But match they're going to have Dynamite in a couple weeks. I think is going to be the match where Kenny gets that title from him. But we'll we'll have to wait and find out. Like I said. We already kind of discussed it because I accidentally tried to end the show at the fucking Elite Deletion. But um, good show. I thought the first half was better than the last half, but it was still a good show. And even though it was long, it kept my attention pretty much until the end with that last match. And then I kind of started trailing off a bit. But um, good stuff. Let's go into AEW and what followed up. All right. Hold on, guys. Hold on to your butts. uh, Real question on the format. Would this be better if they started this at like six for you? Yeah. To this, to this going to like midnight. (laughs) I mean, at least it was on Saturday and not on fucking Sunday. Like WWE does to me sometimes, but yeah, I agree. All right. Um, So let's start off. 
our post-full gear match, we start off with a singles match with Matt Seidel against Brian Cage. And um, it's a good match. It's another situation where, I mean, both guys threw out everything. So it wasn't like Brian Cage got a very quick win against Matt Seidel. They had a, they had a good match. I'm not complaining about that. But if you're going to have a match, a second match on television where Matt Seidel, a past, you know, decently built star in other promotions, including WWE, uh, just loses, even if he's building himself on the YouTube show. Uh, I don't think that benefits him. You could have Brian Cage go against someone else. Brian Cage either have a lengthy match against a good competitor that it doesn't, you know, it's not bad if he loses to, uh, or just have him fucking destroy someone to kind of build him up as a monster again. But either way, Brian Cage won this match. I think the FGW championship was not on the line. I don't know when the fuck he decides to do that, but uh, what'd you think about the match with Matt Seidel and Brian Cage, Chris? I thought it was a, a a pretty good match overall. There wasn't anything that really blew me away in it, but it, there was not anything that was terrible. Um, I'm much like you. I don't understand bringing in Matt Seidel if you're just going to have him lose on your your televised product. Uh, I, I because once again, I'm not tuning in every week to watch an hour of dark to see him get a win over someone that's never been on TV. Like I don't it, that does nothing for me. Um, yeah, I think we're on the same page on this one as far as you could use someone else in that role. The only thing I would say is maybe Matt Seidel doesn't have a full-time contract. Maybe he's running that Cardona line. If so, that might make a little more sense. Where is Matt Cardona now? What, what Has he been like... What's what's he doing? Is he gonna show up on Impact or in this match with Hornswoggle and fucking Brian tonight? Unfortunately, he's in the hospital with Chelsea Green, who broke her wrist yeah. last night in her debut, I guess, SmackDown match. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, po- he posted a really sweet tweet out about her, which I recommend everyone goes to read about everything she's been through to get to the main roster with them not calling up, them not wanting to sign her. They sign her, they push her, then they don't do anything with her. Then she gets injured, and then they push her again, and then she gets injured. And then she finally gets her debut match, and then she gets injured. And he just wrote like a really sweet post about it. I retweeted it. You can see it at Chris R. Patton. Um, very unfortunate. So, I mean, I think he's doing that, and he's doing that major wrestling figures podcast. I mean, I think he's probably, at this point, making a good amount of money on that, and he might just work indie dates. It's just crazy to me because he just seemed like such a big name, former IC champion and stuff that he hasn't really found a landing spot. I agree, man. I definitely agree. All right. So let's go to the uh, promo that a lot of people were talking about. So we had Cody come out. And, you know, kind of talking about the aftermath of the match with him and Darby Allen. Uh, just, you know, going over his defeat, but how this is not the end of him, that he's got stuff to move on within the future. And uh, during this, we have a woman uh, in red just show up. Um, her name, she told him, was Jade Cargill. 
I've seen her in the audience. She's a very buff woman. Her her body physique reminds me a lot of Linda Miles. Anyone remembers that wrestler from Tough Enough that ended up being one of the first champions of Tough Enough for the WWE roster. Very well fit, beautiful lady. Uh, but she is trying to run down Cody. And a lot of people gave her shit about her promo. I don't think it was that great, but I didn't think she did as bad as some people were giving her, especially if it's her first exposure on television, on TNT, against Cody Rhodes. I would have done it uh, personally different. Like, I would have had her screaming from the audience and Cody being like, excuse me, what do you need? Like, inviting her in the ring, because now it's like, so if Cody is going to do a promo, like, anyone can jump in the ring, I guess, if you want to try to get a spot. But either way, uh, she came out and she started talking about how Cody does you know, for calling out Giants, there's nothing giant about him, uh, that he was a liar because of this, and, you know, that she has watched her, or, you know, uh, has watched him and said he's not competition compared to who she's representing, and she's to, she is someone representing an actual Giant uh, after, you know, just downgrading him and, and double entendres, if you will, and, and whatnot, um, left and went to the ramp and said that the giant that she's representing is a, is a guy named Shaq and that he is a real star. You saw Shaquille O'Neal in the back at the last pay-per-view from being the elite. A uh, bunch of people were talking to him backstage. He is a huge fan of the product, apparently. And there is rumors that this, this woman, who has been trained at uh, Heath Slater's uh, wrestling camp, and has been a part, you know, in the background for AEW that she's being groomed to be a wrestler, and she actually might have a relationship with Shaquille O'Neal. Well, uh, the best part of this was Cody's wife, Brandy Rhodes, was not fucking having it at all. And while Cody watched, his wife just completely destroyed this chick, basically telling her to get the fuck out, and that if if she needs her, that, that he'll fucking say something to not even look at her husband, and called her a heifer. So, yeah, there's there's that. I actually thought this was the best promo Brandy's done in a very, very long time. This actually might be her best promo. And um, this is, I guess, setting up, Chris, a match that they're working on between Shaquille O'Neal and Cody Rhodes. I don't want to be a dick. Shaq is probably, what, in his late 40s? Um, I'm sure he can get in shape and whatnot, but been him and Big Show several years ago, I don't need Cody against Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I really didn't even need Mike Tyson this last time, and he's in the best shape of his life. And we all know what happened there. He fell asleep during a fucking championship match. So, um, yeah, <laughs> interesting, interesting stuff. What'd you think? To be fair to Tyson, wasn't it like? Jericho versus I don't know. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't shit on that match so hard. Uh, it wasn't very good though, from what I recall. Um, this seems like something the network forced on them because Shaq has his reality TV show, and he's also an analyst on the NBA show. So it's a good way to tie into those different products, and brand. And also gives Brandy Rhodes something to do. I'm assuming this goes to an intergender tag match and that's a way to protect Cody. And you just have this, uh, new female wrestler, which Cargill, I guess 
I, I don't know. I, I missed I missed out on her name. But anyways, the the idea is to me would be that Brandy gets the win. Um, and, you know, you give Shaq a couple spots. I will say this about Shaq based on his reality TV show. He has been training in MMA. So <laughs> there was a moment on that reality TV show where he's like rolling around with dudes like half his size. So if they go that route and they're just going to do ground wrestling, um, might not be as bad as what they tried to do with him in the big show. It's interesting, that's for sure. All right, well, we'll uh, move on. We had a promo in the back uh, with, um, I forgot his name. They call (laughs) God damn it. I can only think of what Jim Cornette calls him, and that's Officer Bob Brady. But that one interview analysis guy, that's really good. Uh, Alex Marvez. There you go. Um, Alex Marvez was talking to John Moxley about his match with Kenny Omega, and John actually did a good job putting over Kenny and saying he beat uh, Omega once, and that was just one, th- one, one thing. Beating Omega twice takes someone special, and that's me. And they announced their match is going to be December 2nd uh, on AEW. So coming up soon, man, we're going to see this match between the two of them for the title. And like I said, I would not be surprised if this is the one where Moxley finally loses because it seems like they're trying to have the elite with all the belts. I don't know. Could be wrong, though. What do you think? I think I guess I was wrong on them having a clean match. Maybe it was a tag match where he got the clean pin over Omega leading to that title match. I have to go back and watch all of this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about this earlier. I thought the promo was good, and uh, I'm excited for that match. But I do think that Kitty's probably walking out champ. It will be interesting. All right. Well, let's keep on going. We had our bunkhouse brawl match. I love Dustin's attire, paying tribute to his dad, wearing something very similar to what he would wear, with a blue collar shirt on, and then having his makeup match that. I really like that. Um, it was Dustin and QT Marshall versus the Butcher and the Blade. This match was fucking brutal. Um, by the end of it, the Butcher was bleeding everywhere. Uh, QT Marshall was bleeding everywhere. And... Uh, Dustin, especially when he took out, I mean, I, I don't know how I'm not supposed to get this feel from him, but when even, especially when he took out like the 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 uh, the cowbell with the rope on it, uh, the bull rope, duh, um, you know, it just looked like his dad. He, he looked great, and uh, he got the win, and it wasn't anything crazy, like you know, wasn't wasn't a well thought out match. It was pretty much a hardcore match tag. But it was uh, it was fun, I would say. What did you think about it, Chris? I thought it was a fun callback to the old bunkhouse brawl matches. The only thing, I, and, and maybe it happened and I just don't remember seeing it, I, I really miss the spot where someone takes their, cow, their uh, cowboy boot off and puts it on their fist and uses it as a weapon, like a boxing glove. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't remember that either. <laughs> Yeah, Terry and Dusty used to do that, which has always been incredible. And I don't remember them doing that in this match. And I was like, man, you got out the cowbell and the bull rope, but should have had the boot, the boot on the fist. That would that would have really set this match off for me. I mean, 
these are these are all mid card guys, and, and where it was at on the card, I thought it was a good match. It was fun for me. I mean, it definitely brought back Shades of Dusty, which I always love because Dusty is one of my favorites of all time. As as listeners of this podcast know, yeah, definitely. All right, we had a check in for Matt Hardy going over the match and the feud that he had with Sammy Guevara. Big thing. We had MJF joining the inner circle. His inner circle induction. Uh, we had we started off with Chris Jericho coming out at a little podium in the ring. He brings out the rest of the uh, the guys in the inner circle, Jack Hager and uh, what you call Santana Ortiz, and noted that uh, Sammy wasn't there. That, that's that's weird, but uh, they'll have to continue. This is live, and then he brings out Wardlow and MJF to have them join, and you know. This would end with Santana not being happy about him being a part of the the inner circle. But don't worry, MJF has tickets to Las Vegas. And they're all going to Las Vegas. And um, everyone's excited except for Ortiz, who Santana's like, dude, we're going to Vegas. And he's like, whatever, dude. You know, you could just tell he thinks he's a jerk. He doesn't like him. And later on, we'd find out uh, when they have another thing backstage with Sammy talking about their trip to Vegas, Sammy comes out and he's like, why did you send me an email saying to go to the beach if you weren't going to go to the beach? And he's like, I, I sent that to everyone, but I sent you a second email saying not to go to the beach. And he's like, I never got that. And Santana's even like, I, well, I, I got that. And like you said, they had the uh, photo session where uh, in it, it does not look like Sammy or Ortiz are happy about this decision. So I don't know how they're going to play this out. I'm assuming they're going to do some type of spoof uh, of um, oh, what the hell is the name of that movie with where with Bradley Cooper where they all go to the Vegas and I can't think of it. Oh, uh, what the the the, hang, the Hangover? Yeah, some type of spoof related to that. I'm sure Sammy and and, and MJF are going to go at it. I don't know where this is going, Chris, but it's entertaining. I just expect by the end of it, MJF screwing over, if not the whole inner circle, at least Jericho and maybe Santana and Ortiz. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what's happened with this. What do you think? Um, you have to think Santana will side with his brother, and this will be a split of the group leading to like a feud between them that separates off to just Sammy versus MJF. I think the one wild card here for me is is Wardlow, and maybe that's how they split Wardlow off to be like a lone wolf. But I don't know, man. There's a bazillion different ways they could go with the storyline. I mean, they could just roll with the unhappy Sammy Guevara for a long period of time. Yep. It would be great. It would be great if uh, Sammy Guevara just decides to start going the route of the Rock. And really putting over MJF and like bringing him paintings of his self and shit. <laughs> but I don't think that's where they're going. <laughs> He's like, look, I got you a gift, MJF. It's a painting of me. I can also be a dick. That would be hilarious. Um, yeah, just weird. Weird that Sammy, Sammy is definitely the odd man out and Ortiz, but you have to assume they're not breaking up pride and powerful. So no. I think those three versus the inner circle and maybe one added person, which could be Wardlow. Maybe he's not too ecstatic about, you know, being the second big man in this group. 
It's going to cause all sorts of problems between the group. All right, well, we had the, uh, I talked about this earlier, Young Bucks talk about their match. Alex Marvez comes to talk to him. He's kind of weary, and they're like, oh, we're, we're over that, basically. So negate what you built up for weeks. Just pretend that we're now just complete baby faces. Whatever. No big deal. But, um, yeah, they said they're going to take on a newer tag team that a lot of people probably don't know. I've seen them twice now on AEW Dark, this last one, a couple weeks ago. But um, Top Flight, they're two brothers, uh, pretty damn good, L- pretty green, but good tag team, um, you know, going on right now, younger. So it'll be them and the Bucks, and I feel like, do you think that Chris, that Bucks are going to have a similar concept going about tag titles like Cody did, where this is going to be a way for them to kind of check out some of the guys they've had on Dark? Because Tony Khan's even said, to him, AEW Dark is kind of like um, a developmental program, you know. It's the first time for him to be able to see them and see potential in them. And they've signed quite a few people from uh, people they brought onto Dark. I could see that. I could also see them launching a star by having them beat the tag team champions. I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, no, it's a good way to handle this, I think. Uh, They didn't do that as much with the TNT title as far as calling people up from Dark. Uh, top flight just gives me shades of whatever the hell AJ Styles tag team's name was, and and <laughs> I haven't seen them wrestle, so I shouldn't say this. But do you remember AJ, AJ Styles' tag team at WCW where they came out in like Top Gun outfits? No. Okay. <laughs> it was like towards the very end of uh, it. It was towards the very very end of WCW, so I can't blame you, but. <laughs> I can't even remember who his tag partner was, but they had a gimmick like that. So when you tell me top flight is a team, I just assume that they, they're going to wear those gimmicks to the ring and be named Goose and Maverick. Such an 80s ass name. Well, I'm done for Goose and Maverick. Yeah! All right. Um, we had a match that has been building up on AEW Dark specifically, and this is supposed to happen, I believe, on the pre-show, but... Scorpio Sky was in a, in, around someone that might have had COVID. He ended up being fine, but they screened him and kept him out and pushed their match to this AW Dynamite. But Scorpio Sky went against Sean Spears. And you know what? I think Sean had actually a pretty good, um, a strong win. Uh, you know, and he's getting up there now in the rankings. Scorpio still has a pretty damn good score himself, but these guys work really well together. I've already seen them have a match before that a lot of people probably didn't but love scorpio um i love when he put him in the the scorpion death drop and tony shivani let everyone know that he calls that the scorpio death lock and like i think it was jr that was like thanks tony all right great like just kept on going no sold his ass but um hey i i love scorpio sky i think sean spears pretty damn good i like that he's with tully and I don't know if this could continue the feud, but it was a good win for Sean Spears, who has a better record than Scorpio Sky. Just continue to do shit with Scorpio Sky. Huge fan of his. What do you think? I'm really sad they didn't give us a payoff on SCU breaking up. But outside of that, I which they haven't really broken up, but they've teased it um, with, if you remember, Kazarian looking on from the audience, some like weird mistakes between those two the latter match they had where brian cage won the briefcase or whatever 
it, maybe it wasn't a briefcase. I don't remember. But they've teased a breakup there, and they haven't paid it off. Uh, I like what they're doing with Sean Spears, where he's not talking and just going in and having good matches and demolishing people. Because I think that's the only way you're really going to get this guy over, in my opinion. Um, that squash match he had did a whole lot for him, honestly, a few weeks ago, where he just killed that guy in like 10 seconds with a Death Valley driver. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like the match okay. I I guess the end goal is what are you doing with SEU? Are you breaking them up? And if so, to me, you Scorpio Sky should be booked a lot better than he's been booked recently because he's taken some losses that are kind of questionable. I agree. All right, so we had Kenny Omega checking in. He was going to a plane. It's like, what, what do you have to do with going to a plane in the middle of the Dynamite show? But whatever. Uh, Alex Marvez caught him. He talked about, you know, that he was basically sick of being an afterthought and what he's going to do going forward and how he's going to get that title, basically. So we have Kenny at a very cocky level. Then we had a match with Ty Conti. Um going against Red Velvet. I don't remember mo- m- much about this match. I know Brandy was in Red Velvet's side, and they had Anna Jay in Taikanti's side. And I know that the Dark Order came to the ramp at one point and was watching the match. But, um, man, I just I don't have a lot of good things to say about Taikanti. You know, I hate to say it, but I've always thought she was pretty green back in NXT. I remember she fucked up someone. I don't remember if it was... Who it was, and then she got messed up by Zia Lee at one point. Uh, but just hearing the news about Abaddon and how she came off, and literally, you know, they were supposed to have that match specifically for the Halloween show, and they had to remove the match because she came down on her knee on Abaddon's throat and uh, partially crushed her larynx. Like, actually, Ricky steamboated her in that match. She had to get rushed to the hospital, and they just took the match out. She's doing good, but I just I kind of find her green, and uh, it's not good when you're going against, you know, someone someone up and coming from AEW Dark. But um, Taikanti won, and I'm sure the inner circle was very happy about that. Or not the inner circle, the uh, the uh, Dark Order was very happy about that. What did you think about this match, Chris? So what you're saying is the NWA women's division is still more important than the AEW women's division. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that. Damn it, I said it. Uh, Fuck. <laughs> uh, isn't, wasn't Conti one of the, the Funkadactyls? No. Uh, that uh, was... Um, God damn it, I can't remember her name. It was obviously Naomi, but I forgot the other girl's name. But she, she was did on the show. come here. Okay. Yeah, she had, I was going to say, had she was on the show, promo. Too. She was on the promo. She had a promo, <laughs> and then she never came back. <laughs> okay. Ty Conti was the... Uh, Ty Conti, when she was in NXT, she was having singles matches, but Brazilian chick, and um, everyone thought she was in the inner circle because she was like helping them out towards the middle of their, their run and being in matches with them, and then she disappeared, and then they, they fired her. Yeah, I don't know. I think Abaddon is someone they could make into a huge star, and if a girl dropped her knee on her throat and almost killed her, I would probably not put her in a match against people that you might be trying to book in the future. That's what I'm saying. <sighs> uh, what are you going to do? Well, last match, we had uh, a 
a rematch and kind of the second match, I guess you could say, even though they've had a million of them, at least on AEW. So hopefully we'll have a rubber match. Uh, Penta, Pentagon uh, going against Ray Phoenix, brother versus brother. He had Eddie Kingston on commentary. He didn't really want to talk about the Moxley stuff. He told basically to shut that the fuck up right off the beginning. I love that Tony was drilling into him like, dude, like, you know, since you've been with them, compared to when they were together beforehand and then when Pac was with them, they were a unit. And now they're fighting against each other and you seem to be favoring Pentagon. Well, Pentagon's my best friend. Ray Phoenix is all right. And he basically told Tony to shut up over and over again. These guys had a brutal match. I mean, last match, I know that Phoenix on it, basically because something he did hurt himself. But that match was not nearly as brutal. The ending had Pentagon do his pile driver, his package pile driver to the outside on top of the stage. Threw in Phoenix, did his, his um, whatchamacallit, uh, Canadian Destroyer, Mexican Destroyer, whatever you want to call you. And then another package pile driver for the win. Afterwards, Eddie Kingston comes in the ring. Literally, like, shoes, like, like kicks fucking Phoenix out of the ring and is praising Pentagon. Uh, for getting his win back over him. And uh, we have Pac return and come out and call out Eddie Kingston, saying that he thought he would screw up uh, something that he was getting going and that, you know, he's got something or he's got some some uh, some stuff to, to talk for of what he's done since Pac's been gone. And they look like they're about to go at it. And uh, it looks like Pac's sticking up for Phoenix. Obviously, Pentagon is kind of in Eddie's corner, and uh, yeah, we were left with Pac and Eddie. And I will say, two of the best guys on the mic in their company, glad that Pac's back. Don't know if he's going to have a great match with Eddie Kingston. I'm going to be completely honest with you, and I hope that they prove me wrong. But um, I liked all this. I liked how Phoenix, I thought it was going to be Pentagon, but it's actually... Phoenix is going to be thrown as the baby face. Pentagon is going to be basically with Eddie. And I'm assuming Pac's going to, you know, this is going to be like a tag match at first with the brothers and then a straight one-on-one between Eddie Kingston and Pac. Just really happy to have Pac back involved. I liked Eddie actually staying confident and cocky, even though he'd lost to Moxley, showing that he's, you know, still fucking a badass himself. And uh, I like this. I, I, I like the ending. I like the match. Oh, man, dude, I guess Phoenix and, and Penta, they're just like willing to like destroy each other because now, because of the last two matches, I'm going to be worried, not as much as like, say, a Naito and a Bushi worried, but pretty close to that with the two brothers because they just drop each other on their head and fucking destroy each other. That ending was nasty. What do you think, Chris? I thought this was the match of the night. I liked the follow-up. I'm glad the bastard pack is back. And as far as like pack and Eddie Kingston being able to have a good match, just remember that pack was able to have a good match with Enzo Amore. And I would put Kingston on a much higher level <laughs> in ring than Enzo. So I'm sure they'll be able to figure out something that'll be entertaining. But I like the like what you were saying. I think this sets up a tag match, brother versus brother and Kingston versus Pac, and uh, splits off into two singles. And you know what? This is great for everybody because now you have Phoenix and Pentagon who can go after the TNT title or even the heavyweight title. And uh, they basically did the same spot from the Omega finish 
or at least what what he tried to do to beat Omega, which he hit that um, was it the sun the that sun the sunrise flip. I mean, it's kind of like a Canadian destroyer basically, and then he does the pile driver um, in the ring. So it was it was weird that he beat Phoenix with that after not beating Kenny Omega with that. But maybe that's what they were going for. But I, I mean, this is what I would expect out of a Ray Phoenix and Pentagon match. It was great. Liked the commentary. Uh, Tony did a really good job of just pissing off Eddie Kingston, and Kingston did a great job of playing off of that. So, uh, good shit all around. Probably the best segment on the show, in my opinion, at least. Yep, very much looking forward to what they're going to do in the future with that. Now, let's cross the pond, if you will. Not really the pond, but, you know, go to Jacksonville to Orlando for NXT's results. So he started off, I had no idea they were going to go this direction, and I'm kind of, well, I'll just say I'm happy for Leon Ruff, but if they were going to do the same thing, instead of having this random-ass odd couple tag team, really would have been a good thing to do with Drake Maverick, but uh, I digress. Either way, John Moxley, John Moxley, Johnny Gargano starts off with his new wheel, showing everyone he likes wheels. Like, what are you talking about beforehand? This is obviously weighted down because it just perfectly went to the place it had to and kind of like, you know, definitely was something up about the wheel itself. And it picked on Leon Ruff. Um, So, of course, Johnny was so excited about this. And uh, we had Leon Ruff come out. For the match with Johnny, Ruff felt awkwardly as the match started, and while he was fixing his ring gear, Gargano uploaded on him, taking him to the corner. Ruff came back with some hooks and a crossbody, but was soon sent outside and onto the barricade by the champ. Damian Priest showed up uh, on the other side of the barricade, and Gargano taunted him. When Priest showed up on the open part of the stands, Gargano ran away in fear before almost getting rolled up in the ring for a three count. But then Ruff got a crucifix pin in the following struggle and picked up the win while Priest was watching and laughing his ass off from ringside. The new NXT North American champion, Leon Ruff, who beat Johnny Gargano, and then afterwards, Johnny fucking just went apeshit crazy. He's in the back destroying shit. Um, and basically saying, like, this was a fluke win, and, you know, William Regal said he wasn't going to talk to him until he's fucking chilled his ass out and, uh, you know, to back off. But I thought Johnny was really good in this, and especially later on, we'll just kind of, like, wrap this whole entire storyline up when he finally went to Regal, and he tried to maintain that this was obviously bullshit after he, quote-unquote, calmed down, and William just was not having it and just, you know, telling him basically to fuck off. So we're going to see where this goes. They basically did the Razor Ramon one, two, three kid type of thing. Random guy in the company. You know, we've seen him a little bit, maybe one or two matches, but he's always been a job person. And now he's going to actually beat the person that's a cocky guy um, within the situation and just completely bewilder them. I thought Johnny was going to be the NXT North American champion so he could have good matches with people and just be a credible champion since there's not a lot for him to do anymore within the company. But I was wrong. I don't know where they're going with Leon Ruff, but as far as shocking, this was like, wow, 
definitely didn't think they were going this way with it. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but as far as me seeing it, I kind of enjoyed it. So even though Leon couldn't even hold the damn belt when Damian Priest put it around his waist and it just fell, and then he had another uh, picture in the back with Triple H where the same thing happened, you know, I'll, I'll just see where they're going with this. But um, I also love seeing Johnny Gargano flip the fuck out. And I thought his mic work with William Regal was probably the best heel stuff he's done, period, so far. Taking him out of his house vignettes with his wife. What do you think, Chris? What the hell was the point of taking the belt off Damian Priest if you were just going to do this finish? I don't know. I guess to get back at Gargano and then to go for the, the main title, I guess, would be my only guess, really. I don't know. And what's the payoff on the screen mask guy? We don't know who he is yet. I don't know. Okay. So, overall, I did not like this. <laughs> I thought the match itself was fine, and I get what they were going for with the surprise. But uh, storyline-wise, I fuck if I know. Man, maybe Leon Ruff is just that good, and we'll see what happens. But, um, man. Or Johnny Gargano is injured. That's the other. That could be the other caveat. Could be. All right, well, we see footage of uh, Jake Atlas, who's about to have a match with Santos Escobar. And, you know, last week he screwed up Raul Mendoza with a pipe. And this time he ran after him and took out Joaquin Wild while Raul Mendoza was trying to, like, you know, even though his arm was in the sling, keep his uh, keep the champion uh, Escobar back. So, uh, yeah, Jake ain't taking no shit, man. And we would have Santos Escobar versus Jake Atlas for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. And um, just uh, just, just good stuff, man. Escobar got an early advantage on NXT with a series of... Or Escobar got an early advantage on Jake Atlas with a series of knees to the gut before Escobar took Atlas down and trapped him in a submission. They got back on a vertical basis and Escobar uh, connected with another set of chops. Uh, Atlas was taking some big kicks in the corner and then recovered. Uh, Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde tried to interfere, but were taken down by Atlas with the help of the lead pipe. Uh, after the commercial, the duo was banned from ringside, and Atlas was continuing to punish Escobar in the ring. Atlas got multiple near falls before Escobar hit a high kick for a near fall of zone after one more near fall of the death valley driver from atlas escobar managed to connect with a face buster and get the win and still champion santos escobar with the nxt cruiserweight championship not a lot of um there's not a lot into this feud building up wise but these guys put on great matches so i can't complain it seems like jake atlas shane strickland and Santos Escobar are your three best cruiserweight guys. Because if you put them in a match with each other, they put on good matches. I'm hoping Jake Atlas takes this championship from him, though. I was uh, kind of partially expecting it, but a good match. What did you think? I thought it was a very good match. My only problem with it is I've seen it so many times at this yeah. point. Uh, so it's wearing on me. Um this is where not firing Leo Rush would have been good or signing someone like Austin Aries or bringing someone back in would be a good move or moving someone down into the cruiserweight division. 
I get that there's 205 Live and there's other stuff happening, but what they've told me so far is there's only three important people. <laughs> and yep. I ha- I get I get to see them wrestle each week. This is like the uh this the 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 205 Live Cruiserweight Championship is essentially the same thing as the tag team championships on the main product at this point for me. It's not that any of the matches are bad. It's just I'm going to see the same match 75 times. I agree with you, man. I wonder... That's what I'm saying. If, if they're going to keep on doing this, you can have multiple matches, but put some more heart into the storyline itself. Because there's nothing. I mean, I like these little vignettes of Atlas being a badass, taking out members of his faction, but it's still not enough compared to, I don't know, some type of some type of story you can do. It just seems like the Cruiserweight title is always an afterthought, even in NXT. Yeah, I have to agree with you, and and I think you you kind of alluded to this maybe last time we last podcast we had where it's Atlas needs to win and the crew needs to break up, right? You yep. you have you have to sep- you have to separate Escobar from the rest of his crew, and then that fleshes out some storylines from there. But right now, we're we're watching reruns, man. We are. <sighs> All right, so we had Chelsea Blackheart addressing her match with Candice. Chelsea Blackheart was in a backstage segment on NXT and said that the tank was more than a prop and allowed her to represent herself as well as her family in the military. She said, I'm not looking for payback. I'm not looking for revenge. Candice Array, I'm going to kick your ass. And uh, she was really mad about that. Um, let's continue. We'll, we'll kind of get to that stuff once we get to the match. Raquel Gonzalez and Zia Lee. Was set to have a match, but Boa came out and placed Zaya and said that Lee was not there and the match wouldn't happen. So Raquel was not happy about this. Uh, Gonzalez is mad about the match on NXT being canceled and hit Boa on the apron with a kick and then tossed him into the barricade. Uh, Gonzalez destroyed Boa with her finisher and left the ring before the lights dimmed and a dragon appeared and started circling around on the screens uh, an old man came out to deliver boa a letter and touched his hands putting the mark onto it before uh he headed for the break to nxc i don't know what the fuck is going on with this <laughs> chris uh i you know this is this is fucking bizarre i guess like i said i think they're want- trying to do like a chinese triad uh i type of gimmick it did not look good for boa who's a very tall dude to get his ass kicked by fucking raquel gonzalez either what the hell was all this do you know what i wrote in my notes for this dane what this was shit (laughs) that's that's all i had i don't know man this is baffling to me i this is like the this is one of those things where I have to think when they when we heard rumors of them sending uh, WWE creative people down to NXT, this seems like one of those things. There's no way Triple H was like, I think this is a good idea. We should totally do this on my super serious wrestling show. This is definitely not going to look ignorant or racist at all either. It, uh... <sighs> Whatever. All right, so backstage on NXT, Austin Gray was trying to explain why he attacked Tim Thatcher last week, and Thatcher just blindsided him. 
and just destroyed him near uh, Loomis's artwork. And Gray was tossed into the painting, and Loomis was furious after this. So, because I care about that very much. Let's move on. Tony Storm versus Candice LeRae. <laughs> match of the night. Might have been the best match on NXT, honestly. These ladies are fucking awesome. Uh, so LeRae was dominating early on while the announcers mentioned that Thatcher and Loomis will face each other after their run-in with each other backstage. Uh, outside the ring, Tony attempted to send LeRae into steel steps, but she escaped and threw Storm back into the ring. Storm hit a German suplex, a hip attack, and a knee strike off the ropes before getting a two count off a fisherman suplex. Uh, Tony went after Candice, who was in the corner, but got flung into a turnbuckle. Candice went for a three count with her feet on the ropes, but the referee didn't notice before handing her the win on NXT. Your winner, Cancel Ray. Storm attacked LeRae after the match, but a masked attacker from Halloween Havoc showed up, and so did Shotzi. The masked superstar helped LeRae take out Shotzi and Storm before revealing their face, and guess what? The the, the female one was Indy Harwell. I wonder if the other one we're going to find out is Austin Theory. No fucking clue. Probably. But either way, whatever. Good match between both ladies. Um, I didn't like seeing Tony Storm get a defeat, but the way that Candace did it with her, I still think it protects her basically, but I might've picked someone different. Um, but yeah, Candace beat Tony and, uh, Shotzi and, uh, Tony were taken out by both, you know, Candace and her new little puppy, Indy Hartwell. What'd you think, Chris? I think this was the best match on the show. I don't know how I feel about the finish of the match and the storyline they're going for with Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae, um, as well as Austin Theory and uh, Johnny Gargano, who just lost the title earlier in the night. So, I, I mean, I don't I have no clue. I can't even give you a good guess on where that's going. Um but yeah, the match itself was good. I, I'm on the same page as you. I don't know that I would have had Tony Storm lose the way she did, but I, the idea, I guess, is a tag match. Is that where we're going with this? I'm assuming. But also, this Shotzi Blackheart uh, tank thing, have they told us who in her family is in the military? Is that, like, a work? Because, like, I on her Wikipedia no page... On the Wikipedia page, it says that this tank was given to her by, like, a metal band. So. <laughs> I Maybe some backstory on that. Like, I'm okay with it being kayfabe, even though I think that's, with her character being basically tank girl, it doesn't really play into what her character is supposed to be. Um, once again, I wonder how much creative is starting to go into this show and it, it makes me very nervous I'm right there with you man alright well we had uh, Timothy Thatcher versus Dexter Loomis this is a really awkward match I mean if you're talking about a clash of styles this definitely would have something to do with it so Loomis started off strong and Thatcher fled the ring to regroup after a few shots Thatcher came back in and went for Loomis's ankles and grounded him after a little bit more back and forth, Thatcher went for the ankle lock again and transitioned into a modified bow and arrow. Loomis broke free and hit a spine buster, also 
hurting his own hand in the process before tossing Thatcher outside. Thatcher had the advantage outside and sent Loomis into the ring post. Uh, back from a break, Thatcher had an arm bar in an injured arm before hitting a suplex for the near fall. He went back to Loomis's arm, and Loomis managed to encounter with a suplex of his own. Lo- uh, Loomis was in control when Cameron Grimes showed up. Cameron Grimes showed up at the ring. Grimes distracted, led to Thatcher picking up a roll-up win against Dexter Loomis. Your winner, Timothy Thatcher, and Grimes tapped Loomis after the match and destroyed him. At ringside, after putting a bag on his head, Loomis was blinded and went for a steel chair, but Grimes hit the cave-in on the chair, uh, taking him out. So, I will say, I thought the match was pretty good. There was a clash of styles, like I said, but it actually ended up being a decent match. I don't know why the fuck Cameron Grimes wants to fuck with Dexter Loomis anymore. This is stupid. Like, it's not helping either of them to be in this feud. Try to put them in a situation with someone else and try to get them over that way. Uh, If he's scared of a referee thinking he's a zombie, then why the hell is he going to want to come out and and attack Dexter Lubis again? Like, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. What did you think of the match and the aftermath, Chris? So, the match I put... uh... I thought was really good, and I also in my notes I also put, but most Timothy Thatcher matches are. <laughs> so, and then sure. my note for the my note for the aftermath. You want to guess what it is? What is that? This was shit. <laughs> Much like earlier, for all the same reasons you just listed. This man is scared of everything that happened in that compound. Now he's going to come out and attack Dexter Loomis. Ugh. Okay. Totally. Also, this painting stuff, like, that's why Loomis is mad at Timothy Thatcher. Can we come up with something better, please? Can like, I feel like I'm getting off between him and Jerry Lawler. <laughs> Do you remember uh, during that Halloween thing where, uh, God, what is his name now? Cameron Grimes saw the, the fabulous Freebird himself, Michael P.S. Hayes, and called him a redneck? Yeah, that's that's the best thing I've seen Cameron Grimes do in the past three weeks. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, oh, I can't. I like his beat up afterwards. You know, it was pretty good. But it was like, why are you going after Dexter Loomis? This makes no fucking sense. Uh, anyways, well, one of the, my favorite things on here was just a section with Tommaso Ciampa. He was backstage on NXT and said that. Times have changed. Everyone backstage thinks that they are tough. He added that those that complain get rewarded now and that he was going to change the 2020 locker room uh, culture. So he's older. He doesn't he, he doesn't like uh, all these damn people on Twitter and uh, he's he's not down with con- cancel culture. He's going to he's going to change the culture. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I, I love Tomas Ciampa. I thought this is good. I'm glad that he's kind of tweener, but he's still darker. And I think he's great on the mic and just do something with him positively because he doesn't want to go to the main roster. That's fine, but he could still be one of your top guys in your company. He should be. And I want to see him and Kushida have a long drawn out thing. Let's give Velveteen Dream something to do. Like, I don't know, losing to uh, Dexter Loomis again. No, I don't want to see that. I don't know. Figure it out. Figure it out. What do you, think? <laughs> you went all letter kitty there at the end. Figure it out. Figure uh, it out. 
Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think the go-to... I, I thought the promo segment was was good. Ciampa's always good on promo, so wasn't surprised by that. But I, I tend to agree with you. His next thing has to be Kushida. And Kushida needs to be challenging for the title very soon based on the win streak they've given him. So if, if he has to beat Ciampa to get there or vice versa, that's a good way to go. And one of the more interesting things on this show right now is Ciampa, for sure. I was not very positive on this uh, week's NXT. Me neither. Um, all right, so it was a recap that we're going to have Io Shirai defending her NXT women's title against Rhea Ripley next week. So that should be a big match. Don't know really where they're going to go. I mean, they could put it on Rhea. That would make a lot of sense, but I don't know. Io's, I feel like there could be some, some fuckery in this, um, but that's a big marquee match, I would say. And uh, we got a recap of last week's attack on Killian Dane after Pete Dunne and Pat McAfee came out with the NXT Tag Champs. McAfee bragged about uh, Dunne's violent actions the last two weeks before hyping the tag match that we have, we're about to have, basically. Uh, dude, Pat McAfee's amazing. You know, I, I it's the fact that he just goes, like he was talking to Busted Open, and they don't give him any, they, they give him bullet points of what he needs to convey, but they just let him go out there and be a heel. And he's an actual old school wrestling fan. He's been watching his whole entire life. He loves wrestling. You know, I told to you in a, in a text message, Chris, I found out he's a huge Jerry Lawler fan and he thinks the world of him. And, you know, he's had him on his show before in the past, the way he approaches these promos and how just about as much of a fucking dick as he can be is very Lawler esque, I would say in heel promos. And he just goes out there and, I mean, he says he puts on this character on his show. He's doing a promo, basically his whole entire fucking podcast. So this is not new to him, and you know, he 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 likes he wouldn't want to be limited by what would happen with the main roster. But he has a lot of respect for Triple H, and this was like the next dream to get done within his life, and he wants to do it for a while. So I say, let him even by himself. You know, I don't care. After War Games, if he wants to come back, you know. He can only get better in the ring, and even though that was kind of a pattern match, still really impressive. And the way that he 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 acts resonates with me, resonates with people. He, I would say, and I can't believe I'm saying this, he's one of the top heels in the business right now. <laughs> I'll just say that. Probably, definitely in the top ten for me. You know, he's just really fucking good at being a dick. And uh, kudos to him for that. Uh, would you agree with me, Chris, or do you have like a different take on it? No, I don't. And I had to apologize the past couple of weeks because this guy proved me wrong, right? And, uh, you know, when I'm proven wrong, apologies are necessary. This guy has been one of the best promos I've seen in a while. I mean, as far as heels go, I mean, I would throw him up there with it, him and Eddie Kingston. And that I know I said that on our last show, and it, it really got in the crawl of a lot of MJF fans. But uh, MJF's current storyline is not helping him. As far as being a top heel. But yeah, he's been great since coming back to NXT. No complaints at all. I like the little crew he's got going. And uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. There are some shades of Lawler there. I could definitely see that. All right. Well, the match was pretty good. We had uh, the rematch for the NXT Tag Team Championships uh, with Danny Lorch. Danny Lorch. Danny Birch and Oni Lorcan going against Brazongo uh, for those said titles. Match went outside right away, and Birch was sent into the barricade by Breeze, who tossed him. 
back in uh, for Fandango. They were not fucking around this time, and I liked seeing that about Fandango. They were on a mission, basically. Tags were made, and Breeze took a few hits from Lorcan, but Fandango came back in to take back control. Uh, Brazingo hit double kicks on Birch and threw him in McAfee and Dunn at ringside. Fandango hit a falcon arrow on Lorcan for taking out Dunn and Birch outside with a dive. Drake Maverick came in and took out McAfee and Lorcan from the apron and let Brazingo get a near fall. McAfee distracted the ref while Dunn took out Breeze, allowing Birch to get a pin on Fandango to win back the NXT Tag Team Championships. Your winners, Danny, Birch, and Oni Lorcan. After, Drake Maverick uh, attacked the four after the match and was immediately taken out and sent over to the announce table. Brazango joined in and was soon wiped out as well. Brazango and Maverick were taken out for good, and McAfee hit a punt kick on Breeze before he gloated on the camera as NXT came off the air. Um, yeah, I thought this was a good ending. I guess the match itself might have not been the best main event, but since it involves Pat McAfee's group, that's where they justify themselves. This is getting to the point where, you know, you're wanting fucking Undisputed Era to come out and wreck house. So William Regal can come and make the announcement that War Games is going to be on the next uh, TakeOver. But it still hasn't happened, and I think that tension that's still there is good. It's good tension. So this is going to happen probably next week, or if not, you know, soon. But until it happens, Pat McAfee and his group look like a bunch of fucking vicious heels. And I love that this was supposed to be originally, it was supposed to be Pete Dunne and Ridge Holland. Obviously, what happened with Ridge happened, so they decided to take that tag team and put them in there. And now it's it's the four of them. I will say Pete Dunne looks like he's just, you know, he's just kind of going through emotions. But then again, Pete Dunne looks like that with everything. So um, this is uh, this is good. Looking towards, forward to the future. Thought NXT, like you said, was kind of weak, but still like everything involved with this situation. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I'm excited to see this feud continue forward. It's one of the few storylines that I like on this show. Um, a little disappointed we didn't get more of an outlook on the women's championship. And uh, yeah, no, th- I, I, this match was fine. Fandango is still outstanding. I don't know how they've wasted this guy away as much as they have, uh, but he was fucking great in that match. And only Lorcan and Danny Birch, they always put on good matches. I mean, I thought this was solid all around. And uh, the only thing I would say negative is you just killed half the tag team division. And where the fuck was Killian Dane? Did Killian Dane ever come out, or did he just let Drake Maverick get? I guess he's. He's selling his injury because he got his arm or his head slammed in the door last week, is what I'm assuming. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give him a pass on that because I'd forgotten about him getting his head crushed in the car door. Uh, One question <laughs> to you since you brought up the women's title match. What do they do next week with that announced match? Are they going to give it to Rhea Ripley or are they going to keep it on Io Shirai? Hmm. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, my only worry is they're going to put it on Rhea and then send up Io to go against Asuka. Just because Rawls... I mean, unless they're going to break up uh, Shayna and... Wait, Shayna... Wait, God, because of the cross-brand split thing. 
Shayna and Nia are still on Raw, right? Yeah. They can go both places, but they're official Raw superstars. Uh, Do you just... I mean, whoever loses this match, do you just hold off and have them win the Royal Rumble? Probably. Because, I I mean... Don't you think it's weird that that Rhea's not on the fucking main roster? Not that I want her to. I kind of want her to, because it at least gives Asuka something to do that's meaningful. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm assuming they would throw her on Raw. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I, I'm i going to go with Rhea, I guess, just because Io's had it for a while. But then, you know, the counter math to that is Royal Rumble's right around the corner, so you have to think whoever loses this match would be... At least in the chase to win the Royal Rumble, unless Charlotte comes back and wins the Royal Rumble, which is a high plausibility as well. It'll be interesting for sure, but that's next week. Um, So let's go over. Brian Alvarez gave uh, the info for the ratings, and we had Dynamite with 764,000, NXT with 632,000. I mean... I know that they won two weeks ago, but I think it was because of the Halloween Havoc. I really don't think NXT is worried about ratings and beating AEW. We've said this a million times. USA is happy about the amount of views they get in general during that time period. And they're there specifically just to take a chunk off the ratings for AEW for the fans that switch. So that's what their place is. I hate that. I wish that they were involved in Survivor Series this year. I wish that they had some trades this year. I wish that they allowed Aleister Black to go to fucking NXT if he wanted to. But, um, no. They don't care about them except for... And I feel bad for Triple H because I know that he probably hates this. But they're specifically there to take a little chunk off of AEW so they don't get to higher numbers during the week. Because by themselves, they prove they can fucking get very pretty high. Close to, you know, a million viewers. So... That's that's the whole point of this, and that's Vince's great way of handling an excellent wrestling product. And like you and me both said, throwing writers down there to water it down instead of what they were originally doing. So, yay! <laughs> well, I'm not surprised about the numbers. What I will say is if they continue to put out the product they put out this Wednesday, those numbers would dwindle very quickly. Because this was not a good show for NXT. I normally don't crap on NXT because usually there's enough good shit within the show that I like it. But this felt like the second hour of a Monday Night Raw. I have to agree with you, man. So for me, you know, normally I don't bury NXT this hard, but AEW was a much better show. So if you're going to watch one of the two this week, watch the AEW show. It was much better. All right, let's run down. I'm just going to run down pretty much everything that happened on SmackDown so we can just give our say-so on it. Uh, Well, actually, the opening segment was one of my favorite things, so we'll kind of slow down on that. But we had Roman Reigns. He comes out. He starts gloating about himself and talking about how great he is and how he's going to beat Randy Orton and prove that his title is the supreme title between the companies. And out of nowhere, they already broke it, Chris. They already said, fuck it. Drew McIntyre comes out because he wants to let Roman know that their situation isn't over, that that was a long time ago, but they both built themselves into different people. 
and that he might be a Raw superstar, but soon he's going to have that SmackDown championship because he's going against Randy for it uh, next Monday is the rematch. And when that happens, he'll be facing him at Survivor Series, and they're going to find out who the better superstar is. Well, you know, Roman, who was hyping up Jay earlier, saying that he was a badass for taking out Kevin Owens, and the week before that, Daniel Bryan, and putting Daniel Bryan on the on the, uh, on the the bench. And uh, Jay comes out there and says, I got this, cuz, and gets between him and Roman and starts telling Drew off and that he's going to whoop his ass and that, you know, just like Kevin Owens, who didn't see it coming, just like Daniel Bryan, who didn't see it coming, He's going to take out Drew McIntyre and like speak to him. Don't speak to his cousin because he's the tribal chief. While this is happening, Roman's actually getting fucking aggravated that Jay is trying to talk for him is the way that he's taking it, even though Jay's trying to like do his business, um, you know, for Roman, basically. And so once Drew says, fine, I'll have a match with you. I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to take the title, kick Randy's ass, and then I'm going to kick your fucking cousin's ass. Um, that match is set up backstage. Roman lets Jay have it. His demeanor's completely changed to almost like he's been doing, not necessarily with the context of the words, but almost like a Jake the Snake demeanor, just much more calmer, which comes off unsettling. Uh, He bitches him out backstage saying, I don't need you to fight my fucking fights, basically. I'm the one in charge. Fucking do when I tell you to do it. And Jay apologizes to him. So pretty good start to it. I know it was weird having Drew McIntyre. But I do want that match. I do want babyface Drew McIntyre that they've built up against the tribal chief Roman Reigns. And even if this doesn't happen, and this is just something that's going to be within the future, you know, sometime soon, awesome. But then again, who gives a fuck about your your two different sections and, you, you, you know, having Raw and, and SmackDown rosters and having, I guess the trades don't really fucking matter. So, I don't know. What do you think about this? Well, would I be excited for a Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns match at Survivor Series? The answer to that would be yes. But what does that mean for Randy Orton, who just won the title? And what does that mean for your title? <laughs> Randy Orton just outlasted this man in a hell in a cell and beat him clean in the center of the ring. And now he's going to step up to Roman Reigns after he lost? To me, it's just a pathetic story arc for Drew McIntyre. I mean, I know the claim is he's going to walk in, beat Randy Orton, and then go against Roman Reigns. But there is no way in hell they're going to have Drew McIntyre beat Roman Reigns right now. There's just no, absolutely no way. Roman Reigns is the hottest thing on their product. That's not going, if they do that, a lot of people will stop watching SmackDown. If you're doing a unification of the titles to have Roman Reigns be a heel everywhere, I could see that. I think the promo was very good. I think it was very funny when Drew was talking about Raw and Roman was like, Raw, nobody watches Raw. (laughs) (laughs) That shit made me laugh really, really hard. I love this fucking uh, shit-eating grin that Roman's able to put on at times and the intensity that they have going on in this group. I, I would go as far to say that this is one of the best things in fucking wrestling that they have going. And if WWE could capitalize around it and build other stuff around it, SmackDown could be a huge hit. Roman Reigns has been fucking great. Anyone who disagrees with it, like Roman, anything, Roman, everything Roman Reigns has done has been better than every other wrestling product out there right now. 
I would have to agree with you. Uh, I think that Barnum, he's he's one of the best characters in the business, one of the best superstars in the business, period. And uh, I would love if he came out next week and he just called himself the ace just to go ahead and drop the mic on anyone else who thinks they're bigger than Roman Reigns right now. Uh, because, I, I, I mean, if you look at the ratings, it's it's definitely people are starting to lean towards SmackDown more than Raw, which is going to piss people off. I like the shot at Raw. That seems a very Paul Heyman thing to do uh, <laughs> as far as maybe getting some wordage in there. The storyline is just good. And the fact that Jay is going to go against uh, Jay's going against Drew McIntyre, but Roman's also pissed because he spoke up out of turn is good. Like this whole tribal chief group is better than a lot of factions and a lot of other companies. It's just good. It's good shit. Yep. Um, We had a pretty interesting tag or a uh, intercontinental championship match. Basically storyline. Sami Zayn does not want to defend this title. So they're making him defend it anyways. So they made him defend it against the past U S champion, Apollo Cruz. And they had a pretty damn good match. I'm assuming this is going to continue. Because the way Sammy won, he came out of the ring at some point. They were having, like I said, a pretty good match back and forth. Sammy's acting like a chicken shit heel, but also getting a lot of offense. He gets outside, and he takes the apron and pulls it off. And it looks like he did it on accident, like he was just so out of it. And they even commented on it on commentary. But when Apollo Crews comes out there, he gets advantage of them and then takes his leg and hooks it in the metal part. Uh, so Apollo Cruz can't get out and gets inside, gets a 10 count and gets the fucking win. Normally I'd hate stuff like this, but since Sammy is good at being a fucking snarky, despicable fucking heel, it worked for me. I, I had no problem with this and Apollo, the ref had to help get his leg out at the end of it. I thought it was actually pretty well done for a DQ or not a, a, a 10 count, uh, win for Sammy. But, uh, what'd you think about this? I, I have to agree with you. If it was anyone else, maybe it wouldn't have worked, but because that is spot on for Sami Zayn, and it's kind of a unique finish they haven't done in a long time, I thought it was pretty good. All right, so this is this sucks because I mean I, I mean I know I wanted it to end between Sasha and Bailey, but at this point, I just don't know if this is going to be really the best next thing to do. I'll just put it that way, but. We had Sasha come out. She was, you know, kind of gloating. And then Bailey interrupted her. She was on the um, uh, the entranceway, cutting a heel promo. Well, Carmella came out of nowhere, and she laid out Sasha Banks. Uh, now it's two weeks in a row. Uh, but I don't know, man. It's like, so Bailey is now going to do something else, I guess. Sasha's going against Carmella. Do you think that a good thing to come off of Bailey and Sasha finally having their match championship, Sasha's now got it, is a match against Carmella? Like, it's not that I don't like Carmella, and I like, I guess, her new look, but what's really different about it than beforehand and, like, personality-wise, I would say? And is Carmella going to have, like, a great fucking match with Sasha? Uh, I guess this is going to going to show us how good of a wrestler Sasha Banks is. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I mean, Carmella's okay in the ring. I don't... I mean, who? but who else would you have her face on that roster? Who else is there on the SmackDown roster right now? 
Well, Bianca Belair, but I don't want you to do that yet. Um, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, who's yeah. Bailey gonna go against? Uh, I don't know. Maybe she'll show up on Raw. That seems to be a thing people do when they lose. Trade a trade Drew McIntyre. <laughs> yeah, Oscar needs someone to go against. Might as well be Bailey. Maybe Bailey will show up on Raw and just say, "Hey, I know that I lost the championship, but we should totally have a match, y'all." I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's strange. You know what else is strange? Otis, and he had a match against Dolph Ziggler because Dolph was making fun of him. Uh, him and Bobby Roode were making comments about him backstage, so they had a match, and Otis basically beat the living shit out of. Uh, Dolph Ziggler, uh, he landed a Vader bomb and uh, got a pinfall victory. So, once again, Dolph, Dolph uh, jobs out, and Otis doesn't have Tucky. He doesn't have Mandy. They're on the other shows. He doesn't even have Miz and Morrison to feud with, but gets a win against Dolph Ziggler. Good stuff, right? I guess. So, him and Tucky are not going to feud at all, even though Survivor That's, Series is coming up? No. Now Tucky's on Raw, and he's going after the fucking um, the 24-7 title. So they're not going to give us a conclusion to that storyline where he fucked over his best friend and basically the briefcase got stolen? Pretty much. Solid writing. <laughs> Vince didn't know that Tucker was on the opposite one when he decided that. That's the best thing. <laughs> But you have Survivor Series coming up, so you still could have been like, well, this is a feud match because of what happened. You know what I mean? Like, you, uh, It's not that fucking hard. But, I mean, at least they gave Otis a win, I guess, over Dolph Ziggler for whatever that means. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, so we had actually a pretty damn good match, I would say, next uh, between... Um, between Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio, this is labeled as the last match within their feud. Uh, Seth came out with Buddy Murphy, and we would have, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Rey Mysterio, who had a promo with his whole family beforehand, came out with them, and they had a great match. This should have been just one of the major matches they had instead of that fucking eye-pulling match or whatever the hell. Um, but... Just the two of them beating each other's ass, and I guess this would really come down to Buddy Murphy turning on Seth and kind of fucking him over. And there was one botched spot where Seth was yelling at Buddy Murphy outside, and Ray went to go do the 619 and came and hit him. But, you know, Seth was in the spot, so he had to do it again, but still pretty much just, you know, made up for it. Um, and. Like I said, excellent match. I'm glad this is over. This is building to Buddy now being cool with Ray and the family. Him and Ali are, are together. And we're going to have Buddy Murphy and Seth as a rivalry going forward. So as long as we keep it, that outside of the fact that Murphy's now apparently involved with Aaliyah storyline-wise, that is the last of Ray Mysterio versus Seth Rollins. Done with that. But a good send-off last match. Rey Mysterio still defies age, man. I can't believe how fast he is. It's fucking crazy. What did you think, Chris? I thought it was a pretty good match. The spot you're talking about was one of the examples I was talking about with Kenny Omega when he fucked up. Just being like, oh, shit, my arm <laughs> or my leg. 
<laughs> where it makes a huge difference in the match instead of just re-going for the move. But outside of that, I mean, it was a pretty good match between the two of them. Way better than the uh, I'm going to put your eye out match. Is Ray still selling his eye, by the way? I can't remember. He's wearing a black thing over, like, you can just tell it's see-through, but over one side of his eye. Okay, so he's forever blind to now. Um, I felt like they should have pulled the trigger on the Buddy Murphy thing as soon as they launched them back on SmackDown during that draft. Instead of doing the two weeks of programming they did, where whose side is Buddy Murphy on? Uh, Especially coming out of the pay-per-view where, well, actually, multiple weeks of Seth berating Buddy Murphy... Uh, but that's going to be interesting. I'm assuming that Seth Rollins is going to do something dastardly like kidnap her or, or lock her in a room or something uh, to get the whole Mysterio family against him. I don't know what this does for Seth. This does more for Buddy than it does for Seth, but I guess Seth is at the point in his career now that it doesn't really matter. Pretty much. I guess that's that's what it is. I want to see eventually. I want, can we at least just get some dialogue between Seth Rollins and his new cocky heel persona with his ex best friend Roman Reigns and his new cocky heel persona? Like just a little interaction would be really fun. I think. Yeah, just just Roman being like, "I've always been the big chief. You knew that when you joined the Shield, or some shit." <laughs> Just put him in his place, like set up something for the future. Yeah, that would be yeah. great. I, I, right now, I mean, Buddy Murphy and Seth will have a good match. Buddy Murphy needs to win that match. Yep. And uh, I'm assuming Seth has Seth time, time. Uh, off here soon. His, I'm assuming that baby's getting born soon. Yep. What was that? That was like seven or eight months ago. So this setting up to send Seth off for a while. Similar to what Miz done, I'm, I'm assuming he's taking paternal leave. Uh, makes a little bit of sense. So I'm assuming that you know Buddy Murphy will get the better of this feud, and we'll see Seth when we see him. And he'll he, he'll probably have a big comeback. And I'm assuming that Roman is going to be at the top of his game still, still unless they bring in someone like a Brock or or something. But can that, Seth, that can Seth come back as a babyface? Against a heel Roman, yes, probably. That's what I'm wondering, because I just don't think this is working out for him. Like I've said a million times, and I'm sure you're sick of hearing it, if they approached Seth like a heel like they did before in the past, I think it would have been a lot more beneficial. I, I don't see much sustaining potential of the Monday Night Messiah or the Savior of SmackDown anymore after the Buddy thing. I think it'd be really easy for him to come back and drop the after seeing my child being born, it's made me change my ways. Yes. Promo. Okay. I feel like you could easily do that and people relate to it. And uh, if Roman's still there at the top as the shitbag heel, then the, the tables have turned, Seth. Now you have to go against Roman's tribe where he used to have to go against you and your lackeys. Yep. All right. Well, we kind of already talked about the women's match and just the outcome of it. Well, we had Liv Morgan defeating Chelsea Green, Tamina, and Natalia. This was actually supposed to be Chelsea Green that won, but she actually ended up hurting herself in the course of the match, um, which sucks, man. I just, you finally get there. You're shown backstage with Adam Pierce and Natalia. 
you're going to be a part of this match. You get hurt. They had to pull an audible. Liv Morgan ended up winning. Do you have any last statements about the situation itself? We kind of already talked about it. No, just well wishes to her and uh, Matt Cardona. I hope that she heals up real soon and that they won't give up on her and actually bring her back and give her a meaningful win because I think Chelsea Green can be a really good performer. All right, in the last match, basically, Drew McIntyre, Jey Uso. I'll just get to the uh, meat of it. They had a really good, hard-hitting match. Jay has looked better and better every week. Jay really was, you know, I'm not going to say beating Drew, but not doing a bad job. Roman got involved. Drew McIntyre got the win. And then we had Drew and Roman kind of having some words against each other. So Drew has to win against Randy for this match to happen at Survivor Series. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but, you know, just showing this as a future concept in the making after building them and then putting them on the same product sometime soon. Good visualization. I like seeing this version of Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns not maybe having some words. Maybe maybe Roman will show up and fuck over Drew against Randy. I don't know. Um, like I said, trade Bailey for fucking Drew and you can do some stuff opposite place. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're, they're going to do that. But uh, what do you think about this ending? And do you think Jay's getting pissed off about Roman or can he do anything at this point? I mean, I don't think he could do anything after what Roman's done to him and his brother as of late. He's just got to fall in line. Uh, what I do think is there's a huge possibility that Roman Reigns might walk out of Survivor Series with both titles and we have the first unified champion in a long time. I could see that because I could see USA Network heavily wanting Roman Reigns to show up uh, and whether that's Tim screwing over Drew and going against Randy or you know Drew winning and, and still losing to Roman Reigns uh, so that's my huge spoiler alert is and I don't know so can the titles change hands can there's no unification if the titles change hands there's no title matches on Survivor Series right no, but I mean, think about it. If you get either Randy or if Drew beats Randy, if if Roman calls him out, like, how about I take that title from you if you think you're that fucking good? Now, it really makes sense with Drew McIntyre, but Randy's still egotistical enough that even if he beats Drew, to be like, I've, I've beaten you before, I'm going to fucking beat you again, I'm taking your title, and I have both of them, and I'm the Viper. You know, kind of go for that dynamic. It would be yeah. awesome if they did that. Yeah, I think that would be great and probably really good for Raw to have an anchor, much like SmackDown has for their show. I, I don't want an overexposure of what Roman Reigns is, but, I mean, they until they prove me wrong, it's it's been great in a highlight of their show, and they need someone to build around, for the holy fuck's sakes. And that seems where, like, the storyline was going, or why the hell would you have Drew McIntyre show up? Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, I, I thought that was a really fun show, man. We talked about a lot of good stuff on wrestling, and uh, there was something else that we forgot, but don't worry about that. We'll talk about it some other time. Um, something on Mondays. It's like a three-hour uh, Anyways, but this is going to be the format of our shows. I think this is a much better format. It's closer to the shows that we're covering. We do it on Saturday, and we, I mean, Friday is the night before, and obviously Wednesday is two nights before that. So this is what we'll be doing. But like I said, 
if anything big happens on Raw, like we'll probably go over the results of the Randy Orton, uh, Drew McIntyre match on the next one. We're going to cover the big stuff on there in our news uh, area of the show. And we might still need two shows once in a while to cover everything. If we have pay-per-views that we're covering from one week before and then one that we have to, you know, predict the the, the weekend of. Like, we'll still do two shows sometimes. But most of the time, you guys are going to get one big show that we will record on Saturdays, get the show out by Sundays, and we will be going over news for Wrestling Everywhere and then give our reviews for AEW, NXT, SmackDown, or any of the major pay-per-views going on with any of those companies. So I hope you guys liked our show. I really enjoyed it because it seemed like, even though it took a while, we went through it pretty quickly because I was enjoying what we were talking about. And I think that's the biggest thing. You guys don't want us all slugged out and just, you know, yeah, so this happened. You know, you want energy. And I want energy, too. So I'm going to go buy an energy drink. Chris, say goodbye to all the good people. Goodbye, good people. Uh, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, you can hit me at Chris R. Patton. Skates to Throats is on a little bit of a hiatus with the hockey season being done. Um, but there's plenty of stuff for you to listen to out there on Geek Vibes Alive. So make sure you search that and check out all the wonderful stuff that I've put out recently and, and Dane's put out recently as well. I'll let you you touch on that. But uh, yeah, thanks, thank you guys so much for listening and uh, hope everybody has a great rest of the weekend. Be safe out there. All right, so basically what he was referring to, I had a Dane rant. Let's check it out. You can find it off Blog Talk. I'm pretty sure we put it on all the other platforms. Uh, we went over um, amazing horror director, or just amazing director, I should say, uh, Ari Aster, and talked about the evolution of cinema and horror and just our tour directors doing horror movies and talked about his films Hereditary and Midsommar. So now from this, I don't know what the name of it's going to be, but... I'm going to kind of, once in a while, do a Monday suck here and there over stuff that's like political or something like that. But uh, when I want, when I choose, Dane Rants will be something that I do once in a while as well. I got a new show going over the MCU with John Kalina coming out uh, this next week for Dane Rants. But we're going to have a new horror show coming out. Uh, I have my guests, my little brother, Luke Alves, and one of my best friends who lives in California, Alex Krieger. And Christopher Brother Ray Patton joined me in a panel where we review and talk about movies and trends in horror. So I'm really looking forward to that. I don't know what we're going to do for our next big thing, uh, but we'll be having that probably. I'm going to go monthly, at least commit to that. And then if, if, it, if it catches on, we'll go bi-weekly. Definitely would like you guys to check out that. Go to geekfivesnation.com. That's geekfivesnation.com. You'll find different news articles from our various writers. You'll also find links to our Instagram, our Facebook, and our Twitter account at Geek Fives Nation. Join the conversation. Join Geek Fives Nation, guys. You'll also find uh, you know, different ways to listen to us. If you just Google Wrestling Geeks Alliance, you can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. We sometimes put our audio stuff on YouTube. Just pretty much any type of downloadable thing. Just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance. You'll most likely find it. If not, Google it, and you can find the correct way for you to go about listening to it. But thank you guys so much for listening to us. It's another great episode. And, uh, you know, like I usually say, let the geek fives be with you. And peace out.